I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Thinking sideways. I don't understand. Does not compute. You never know. What? Stories of things we simply don't know the answer to. Uh, hey, hey guys, it's uh, Thinking Sideways, Team Sideways here, um, Devin joined by Steve and Joe. What, what do you guys want to talk about tonight? You know, I, I, I tossed a coin and uh, it landed on its edge, so we're kind of screwed. Yeah. <laughs> it is the 100th yeah. episode. It is, it's our 100th episode. Uh, so we should probably do something magnificently huge mm. or... Just talk about the fact that I can't believe that we've made it this long. Yeah, we could just phone it in. How did we hold it together this long? I don't know. It's like uh, 100, it's like almost. People just haven't caught it on yet. That we don't know what we're talking about. Uh We haven't figured it out. Thank you, Wikipedia. Yeah, there you (laughs) go. Well, if you guys want to talk about something magnificent or like royally magnificent should we talk about this massive tome that i have in my hands yeah which is our show notes why don't we throw the lines open and let just let people call in with their suggestions yeah let's not do that you know no oh, okay fine. we don't have a phone we don't have, we don't a, have phone a phone yet. that's right oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah can't afford it, it. Yeah. yeah um so i guess royal mystery mm-hmm. tonight we're gonna tackle the death of princess diana and uh, we're not going to talk about so much why she died, is or no, how she died. It's, it's just like you know who killed her. Yeah. Yeah. 
We're, it's just, she was listen, murdered. the Go script on. that's in my hand is a good three times longer than normal script, yeah. at least. Which, yeah. So get excited. Yeah. Yep. Get your water bottles, your granola bars. Everybody go down. to the bathroom. That's go to right. the bathroom now. Mm-hmm. We're not going to wait. Nope. Go to the bathroom now. Nope. We're not going to stop. Okay. Ready? Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Diana's personal history for a minute. Okay. Quickly. Yeah. Really quick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing about this is going to be quick, Joe. <laughs> uh, damn it. I've already got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Diana Spencer was born the fourth child of John Spencer and uh, Francis Kidd on July 1st, 1961. She was one of four children, five, but she had a brother who died as an infant um, before she was born. Her father was named the 8th Earl of Spencer in 1975, which made Diana Lady Diana at the age of 14. How cool would that be? Right? Her family was part of the aristocracy, uh, pretty much in any way you define it. The Spencers had been really closely allied with the royal family for a very long time. And as one of our experts put it, they were, quote, pals, but, quote, highly orchestrated pals. The Spencer family and the royal family. Hmm. What exactly does that mean? Yeah. Uh, It means that they... um, There's a lot of planned interactions. Yeah, lots of planning went into the relationship between the two. Also, fun fact, Winston Churchill is apparently a blood relative of Diana. Cool. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Diana had a pretty privileged and curated upbringing, as I'm sure you can imagine. Her godfather was the chairman of Christie's, which you guys know, right? Christie's mm-hmm. auction house. Yeah. 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 Her godmother was the niece of the queen mother. What's the... I, I never have been able to figure that out. What exactly is the queen mother? She's the... The queen mother is the mom of the reigning monarch. So she's the mom of Elizabeth, right? Elizabeth is the queen... Is Correct. the monarch right now. So she's she's Elizabeth Elizabeth's mom. Okay. Okay. Got it. Okay. That uh, Yeah. I just... I, so much royal intrigue and how the systems are set up. It's... Yeah, I talked to a lot of experts. I know you did. Uh, and I, I I read a lot of those emails uh-huh, yeah. and it didn't help me. Yeah, it was pretty helpful, but I, I was still confused. Well, that's because I'm just a dummy about these things. <laughs> Diana was a shy child. She took an interest in music and dancing and, again, unsurprisingly, trained in classical ballet. Apparently, Diana also had an interest in children, as in raising children and taking care of children. Schooling them. Schooling them, kind of, yeah. She attended an all-girls boarding school, which I understand is typical of the monarchy. The aristocracy. She's not part of, well, yeah. And it turns out she wasn't a great student. She failed her O-levels, a.k.a. ordinary levels, twice, which is kind of like failing your GED in the U.S. Mm, Yeah. It's like, it's basically high school. High school education. equivalency. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She was an accomplished artist, however, and she excelled in music. Uh, and she was apparently an accomplished pianist as well. She was a talented ballerina. So but Things that I never knew. Yeah. Frankly, I never paid attention to her when she was alive. Right. Of course you didn't. <laughs> yeah. 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 She was also a very talented ballerina, like I said, but she was very tall, which apparently is a thing that you can be, you can be too tall to be a ballerina. I didn't realize that. I thought all ballerinas were supposed to be tall and skinny, but maybe it's because you know, you gotta be a little, little and petite. So the other, the guy can pick you up and twirl you around. I guess. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe what it is. I have no idea. I I could go off on this for hours, but I just won't. You could, huh? (laughs) Steve Steve, uh, was a ballerina. Yeah. Yes. I I trained classically. Mm -hmm, Yeah. mm -hmm. 
When she was 17, she managed to score a job as a nanny for the daughter of a major and his wife. Diana was close friends with the brother of the major's wife. So it seems that's probably how she got connected. She just knew some people. Mm. This is always the thing that gets me when it's it's a lot like, did you guys ever watch that movie Spaceballs yeah. back yeah. in the 90s? Yeah. I was your brother's cousin's college roommate. Like this is, this is always what it makes me think of. Well, I knew your brother's sister's mother's cousin. Mm. Just always so yeah, convoluted. Yeah, very, very connected. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Connected right. is a better way to say mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. I wish I had these kind of connections. Yeah. A year later, she moved into her mom's flat in London, and then on her 18th birthday, her father purchased her, a flat of her own for about 100,000 pounds. Wow. wow. Imagine yeah. getting a flat in London for 100,000 pounds these days. Yeah, right? <laughs> nah, yeah. No chance. She worked a few different jobs. Most of them were with children, and she was always noted to have had a really strong community spirit and a deep love for teaching children. In 1977, just prior to moving to London, Diana met her older sister's boyfriend, Charles. Ah, well, not yep. boyfriend? Yep. Not Prince Charles. Uh, yes, Prince <laughs> Charles. Oh, man. So Prince Charles, like... Dating sort of her older dated, sister. Dated both sisters, huh? All the, wow. Just two of the... There, I think there were three. Uh. In 1980, Diana happened to be at the same, quote, country weekend event, and she watched him play polo, which apparently was his thing. Oh, yeah. The the watching of the polo. I mean, he liked to play polo, but oh, no, I, ladies I, watching him play polo, that's how he met his girlfriends. I was going to say, Devin, I know you're not old enough probably to remember this, but Joe does, as I remember seeing all kinds of footage of Charles in the 80s always playing polo yeah. he was always and he was he was on the horse and then he was getting off the horse and it was always polo 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 with that guy mm-hmm. yeah. that was yeah. that's that's the royal sport mm-hmm. yeah polo is cool by the way but it looks it looks almost impossible it looks yeah. like harder than really, hockey. really hard. yeah. <laughs> yeah um i i think and i've read a few accounts that say that this is actually a, a a better cover story than the truth of how they actually met. And they actually met drinking at a friend's apartment. I thought they met in a bowling alley. Oh, uh, no. No? No. Oh. After a really brief courtship, uh, Charles proposed to Diana. They were engaged for five months before their wedding. Was and he still dating her older sister? No. They no, they'd broken, broken up. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, okay. they'd broken up. <laughs> okay, yeah. good. Yeah. According to some sources, Diana and Charles both knew the marriage was doomed pretty much from the start. For her part, Diana had found out about Camilla, who yes. is widely accepted as Charles's first and only true love, and is, in fact, his current wife. As of she today. She was married to someone else when he married Diana. And we'll talk about that. Yep. And Charles found out that Diana was, uh, quote, a vulnerable, complicated woman already suffering from an eating disorder, unquote. So basically, he realized that she was like a real human woman, not the, quote, jolly country girl that he thought her to be. <laughs> mm, yeah. That's that's a rude awakening for any man to realize that he's dating a real woman with feelings and things. <sighs> yeah, I don't date women like that. I know you don't. Yeah. I, I never understood why that was that, that had to be. Why do women have to have feelings? I don't know. I'm sorry. It's we, weird. We got programmed weird, Awkward. I guess. It's always yeah. all about the feelings. Yeah. They did go through with the marriage, however, despite both of them kind of having to be coerced into doing it. <laughs> she was 22 and he was 33, and it was 
a huge event. Oh, yeah. Billions of people watched this, which these days, I guess, is not so big a deal. But in the, you know, 80s, that was, yeah, was like a pretty uh, huge ordeal. Where was it? Like Westminster Cathedral or something like that? I mean, yeah, did you guys Abby. watch the, the wedding? I mean, recently. Now, I saw a few pictures of it, and I, I just thought, wow, I want to have a wedding there. I want to have my wedding there. That's really cool. I, I, I remember seeing stuff about it when I was a kid, and then mm. I skimmed through some of the footage, and it is so amazingly lavish. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Just Well, did you see wow. the more recent wedding, more recent, way more recent wedding of uh, Prince William and Kate Middleton? I didn't, actually. I think I remember seeing stuff it on was, that. It was the same thing. It was huge. Sure it was big. It was pretty big. Wasn't that where there was the whole scandal of big hats? They're not, not All of the royal scandal, ladies were like yeah. trying to outdo each other with the bigger and bigger hats. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah, there was an awesome meme where two of the ladies looked exactly like the Wicked Stepsisters <laughs> from Cinderella. That was awesome. Yeah. Anyways, back to what the point at hand is. Diana and Charles uh, managed to pop out two lovely princes pretty quickly. One Prince William that we were just talking about and one Prince Harry the Dreamy. <laughs> By all accounts, the boys just totally adored her, and she was a hugely successful mother. She and Charles did separate in the 90s. It seems it was mutual. Yeah. And they finally divorced on August 28, 1996. Diana dated a man named Hosnot Khan, who was a British-Pakistani heart surgeon, and many people close to Diana said that he was the love of her life. He he broke up with her, right? Well, it's unclear. They dated for two years, and during the inquest that we're going to talk a whole lot about in a little bit here, he was actually interviewed, and he said that she broke up with him in a park very suddenly, but a lot of friends said that she told them that he had broken up with her, and it's not quite clear why they broke up or anything I've like that. I've read stuff that said that they that he broke it off because they, they dated bases. A, a lot of it was kind of secret. Mm-hmm. It was a secret relationship. Well, it was a secret because he didn't want it to be, he didn't want the paparazzi and yes. all that. Oh, hell yeah. He yeah. didn't want the publicity and he didn't want to deal with all of that. So it was, hey, come over and have a pizza and a beer and we'll watch a movie and whatever happens, happens and we do this all the time. But I don't want to make this an official thing and be out in public because I don't want want all these people bothering me mm-hmm. oh, that's yeah. that's what i read that would was. drive that would drive you nuts yeah that, that would drive a wedge in just about any, any relationship, relationship. Oh, yeah. yeah but apparently most people say that he was the love of her life so it was pretty heartbreaking when they broke up for her at least despite whoever broke it off with whoever mm-hmm. but within a month of her breakup with Khan, she began dating Dodi fayed and that's where we're going to leave her story for the moment. Okay. I think where we're going to go from here is we're going to we're going to talk about some of the players in the story. Yeah. Because mm. there are a lot of players and we should probably talk about them so people have a frame of reference. Yeah. Cuz I think we've made the mistake in the past of presuming that everybody knew who everybody was, so we're we're going to make sure we cover the bases. First off, we have Prince Charles, Chuck. who's Not Chuck. His full name and title is Charles Philip Arthur George, Prince of Wales. Charles is the first and oldest son of Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip, both of whom we'll talk about in a minute. And like we just said, he married Diana. But Charles was born in 1948, and he is the heir apparent to the British crown. If you don't know what the heir apparent means, it is the next in line. So it's... Apparently. mm -hmm. 
Yes. So uh, it's uh, the, uh. you know, there's the president in the United States and the vice president. The vice president is next in line. So it's the same, same concept. Now it's Just Charles, a different term. Yeah. Is Charles still in good standing as heir apparent, though? He is still divorce? listed when I was in the uh, official websites for the crown. Mm. He's still listed as the heir apparent. Yeah. So I have to presume that it hasn't passed on to his son. Yeah, it's I actually him, then Williams, then and then it's uh, William's son. Correct. Yeah, and then yeah, so yes, and then their daughter, who they just recently had. So it's it's Charles, and then William, and then his son, and then the daughter. So that now we're one, two, three, four levels deep. And then it's <sighs> Prince. Harry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> He's lo- got to be, isn't okay, he? Can we cute. talk about this? You absolutely have a thing about Prince Harry. Because every doesn't? time I mentioned him in my notes, I found in parentheses, <laughs> so dreamy wrote, written next to it. No, I wrote He's- that. <laughs> <laughs> He's dreamy. I'm sorry. I'll try very hard not to belabor that point. But right. guys, now, he's dreamy. Was it Harry or was it Philip? I thought it was Harry that served in Afghanistan. Wasn't that Harry? Recently, yeah, yeah. yes, yeah, the Brits yeah have it was Harry. Yeah, 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 he's in, yeah, I believe it is, yes. Yeah. But, but let's let's get back to Charles because we're way off course already. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, we yeah. got so dreamy so that we, we got to get back into this. Sorry, that's okay. Like I said, like I was saying, no, Sorry. he's the heir apparent, yeah, he has been the heir apparent since 1952, so since he was four years old, when his mother, because at that time, his mother took the crowd. Mm. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Being heir apparent, of course, put him in the spotlight. Uh, His entire life, he's always, you know, everybody's taking his photo and talking about Charles. One thing that the royal family really wanted was for Charles to settle down and marry. And I've read that he made a conscious decision. He said he didn't want to get married until he was in his 30s. I didn't and come I, across that particular, but that doesn't that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I gather his family was not super excited about that. Well, no, I've, I was reading something that from the age of twenty one or twenty two, he was getting suggestions of possible wives yeah. and saying, "Go court this woman and try and and get her hand in marriage." So this was a very big pressure for him. Yeah, mm-hmm. but at the same time, he was probably thinking, "God, I'm I'm rich, and this is like the sixties, and I'm getting lots of you know what. <laughs> well, but he's, I, I don't even think it's that. It's just I'm a young man and I'd like to enjoy myself before I settle down. And he has yeah. the means to do that, which is totally understandable. Of course, he, like I said before, he had a string of girlfriends. And we briefly talked about earlier was that one of those women was a woman named Camilla Shand who eventually would become known as Camilla Parker Bowles. She is regarded as the love of his life. He was head over heels for her. He wanted to marry her from stuff that I've read, but he never worked up the nerve in in time to propose. And by the time he did, I think he he went on a voyage somewhere and he decided he was going to do it. And by the time he got back, she had already been proposed to by another man. He proposed at that point. She said, no, I'm, I'm marrying him. And Charles lost out. Ah. And that was that was the end of it for him. At that point, settling isn't the right word, but he seems to have settled upon Diana as what the family said would be a good match based on what everybody was telling him. Yeah. She was a good-looking girl. You know? She was young. She was good with children. 
she wasn't particular. You know, she was humanitarian, but not particularly ambitious. Yeah, yeah. You know, she came from a good family. I, yeah, I'm not sure she was very smart, though. She, but, I don't think she was. Yeah, I think she was an exceptionally kind woman, but oh, yeah. I don't think that she, she was going to write great volumes Mm-mm. of, of, of you know, groundbreaking works. But yeah. I mean, that yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Oh yeah. But the thing is. Charles never got over Camilla. And oh, God, no. He, he is reported to have, on the night before his, mar- his marriage to Diana, he got cold feet. Mm. And he said, I can't do it. And he got pushed, and he obviously eventually went forward with it, and he did get married. What was and the quote? Was... He was wailing. I can't go through with it. Yes. The night before. Yeah. Incredible. And I could just see the queen just like smacking him upside the head. (laughs) With a glove. Shut your bloody mouth. (laughs) With a glove. (laughs) (laughs) Or a corgi. Hitting him with a corgi would be better. The corgis. No, she was hitting him with a glove. The corgis are barking at him. I like the idea of her setting the corgis on him. Like three or four corgis attacking him. Well, regardless, I think we've hit on this once already, but it's pretty obvious to this point that it's basically a loveless marriage mm-hmm. yeah. and that would be the the kind of the fuel for what drove their divorce well gee, be- you think well yeah amongst uh other not so great behaviors on his part but yeah they and, they and on her part a little yeah no i'm i'm not pointing a finger at charles they both agreed to this marriage they both went in it probably with reservations in my mind mm-hmm. So I'm not going to say one is more guilty for its failure than the other. Yeah, no, but... Char- Char- Charles was always painted as a bad guy by the tabloids, but, you know, the tabloids are mostly read by women, so it's inevitable that, you know... No, 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 no. painted as a bad guy. Charles got caught first, mm-hmm. playing the field. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that some later, but eventually Diana got caught, too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it was only... It was... He got caught with his hand in the cookie jar first. That's why he's the bad guy. Yeah. But we're going to move away from Charles for a minute. Yeah. Let's move away from Charles permanently. (laughs) I don't think we need to talk about him again. Oh, well, we do. Mm. Uh, The next person we're going to talk about is the queen, Queen Elizabeth II. Mm -hmm. Oh, her. Yep. Uh, I think everybody kind of has a good mental picture of the queen. She's this kindly, grandmotherly lady who, as we said before, loves gloves and corgis. Mm -hmm. And she rules over one of the largest countries in Europe when you take into account all of its overseas territories. Yeah, the Commonwealth is pretty large. Yeah. It's insane. There's places on this list I didn't realize that we're still technically part of Britain. Mm -hmm. Uh, What is it? We've got... Uh, the British Virgin Islands. Okay, that makes sense. Of course, yeah. uh, Bermuda, uh, Cyprus, the mm-hmm. Cayman Islands, Gibraltar. I, mm-hmm. I didn't realize all those places were still technically under the British flag, oh, whether yeah. they're semi or fully independent or not. Yeah, Falkland Islands. Yeah, uh, it's a huge list. Is, so, is so Belize it, still it is under a, the flag? Yes, it is. Yeah. There is a huge chunk of territory that they own. Mm-hmm. But let's let's go back to Elizabeth. She took the throne, as I talked about just a second ago, in 1952 when her father, King George VI, passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anybody wants to know about King George VI, just watch the movie The King's Speech. Really? Okay. No, not really. It, <sighs> 
not the best documentary. Yeah, it's not no. a documentary. Yeah. yeah. But it's got a lot of great foul language. It got, in uh, British. It got a lot of good reviews. I never bothered watching it. Oh, it was, it's a fun movie. The soundtrack was, was phenomenal. Yes. Oh, really? mm. Maybe I'll okay. see it. Yeah. Well, George the sixth passed away. His daughter took the throne. Officially, it was a year... I think it was a year later she officially ascended to the throne. Okay. I can't remember what the wranglings were that delayed it. She had to do a background check, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she, she did take the throne, and she is, as of today, she is the longest lived monarch in Britain, and if she lives past the 9th of September of this year, 2015, mm-hmm. she will become the longest ruling monarch in British history. In, you know, yeah. in history. In history. Yeah. This lady, she's old. Now, she's been around a while. Yeah, medical has. science has improved a bit since you yeah. know, the other kings were around. She doesn't seem to be showing any signs of giving up anytime soon either. No. So. Yeah. Well, in, in just here's, here's a little bit. So you're thinking, mm-hmm. well, how old is she? Mm-hmm. She was born in 1926. Yeah. That's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. She's, yeah, so she's 89. 89. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's 89 years old. Actually, by the, by today's standards, that's not really that old. But as a ruling monarch, that's that's the oh, thing. Yeah. But as you said, medical science has changed. Yeah, yeah. So of, yeah. back in the day, it was you ate a bad piece of fish and you died. You went to battle and it was a badly, poorly planned battle. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. she's Queens, never gone to battle. Queens didn't usually go to battle that much. No. But no. anyways, let's no, see. Yeah. yeah, well, she's actually lived through, she's lived through two world wars and countless conflicts that her country has been in. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's... That's that's amazing. And she's only been through or one, one, world, one war. world war. She was alive yeah. for two world wars. No, she wasn't. She no. was born in twenty six. So yeah, you're right because yeah. it was nineteen nineteen. I wow, I almost completely yeah. blew that. Yeah. My grandma's ninety seven. So you, it's fine. You're just thinking of her. No, uh, that's there you go. you're yeah. right. Yeah, I know because you, your grandmother these... loves corgis. So yes. That's how I got them mixed yeah, up. It's easy to do. Okay. Well, Elizabeth, like I said, born in 1926. She married in 1947 Prince Philip. And besides Prince Charles, she had three other children who are Princess Anne, Prince Andrew, and Prince Edward. I was going to talk a little bit about the Queen, but I don't know exactly how to put this. I've heard differing accounts. Either she is sharp as a tack, and she has her finger in every pie and major dealing that is going on, and she knows what's happening, or... She is very disconnected, and she is a complete and utter figurehead at this point. Mm. I don't know which is true, but there's there's always accounts both ways. But you know, the woman's been in you know she's had the 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 throne for so long. There's so much stuff, and I will say the same thing for her as I will for Prince Philip, who we're about to talk about. It's like, well, yeah, there's so many things that you can just dig up. Well, she didn't pay attention to this, and she was deeply involved in that. So I don't know what's true and what's not. Mm. Probably Luckily, that's not, not the mystery we're tackling here think, tonight. Thank God, no. We're talking about murder, not the queen. Murder? Yeah, yeah. Maybe. All right. Well, speaking of murder, no, not really. Let's talk about Prince Philip, whose official title is Duke of Edinburgh. Prince Philip. Did we say it right, you guys? Did we say it right? I hope we did. Sorry, I'm sorry. I hope we did. Prince Philip was born in 1921, and just like the Queen, he's got a longest-lived title. He is the longest-lived spouse of a British monarch, and he is also the oldest living member of the royal family because hmm. he's 92 no no he's uh, older than that 
It would be uh, he's 90, 94, right? 94, yeah, okay. 94. I was like, that doesn't yeah. make sense. No, he's yeah. 94 years old at this point. He's a little bit different because from the rest of the House of Windsor, which is what Charles and Elizabeth are, they're officially the House of Windsor. He married into the family. So he is from the royal house of Glücksburg, which is, it's a house that has branches in Norway, Greece, and Denmark. So it's not anchored so much in the way I can understand it directly in Britain. It's more of those outlying territories. Yeah, I never really quite kind of understood exactly how it is that royalty in Europe could like trade places. You know, it's like, oh, we need a new king, so we're going to import a king from Germany because they got royalty in Germany. Yeah. That kind of thing, you know? Uh, and and that's, that's it. I, I, I don't, I, I'm not even going to try to explain it because I can't wrap my hands around it. But mm-hmm. the thing is, he was born, born royalty. He was born in Greece, which at that time was in the process of a revolution. And his father was a, you know, a royal there. His family was forced to leave Greece when he was a year old. So there's these stories of him as a baby in a bread basket being put on a ship with everybody else. Of course there is. Of course there is. Is that not great PR or what? Great, yeah. And of course, somebody swapped baskets. (laughs) That would be another mystery to tackle. They replaced him with a vampire. Oh, no. Wait, no. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, so let's go ahead and talk about the courtship between Philip and Elizabeth. When he was courting Elizabeth, he, I don't know if he had to or if he voluntarily did this, but he gave up his royal titles in both Denmark and Greece, and he became a naturalized British citizen. Which makes sense, because mm-hmm. if you're going to marry a woman who's going to be the queen, you should be a naturalized citizen of that country. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you don't want that conflict of interest either. And, and I, I know I just kind of said this a little bit about Elizabeth, but I've seen the same things about Philip, is that he is... While kind of a cranky old sod, he's really just a benevolent guy and he's an old man and everything's fine with him, to he is a conniving, manipulative, mean guy who will do whatever he wants. And the same thing, they've been in office or they've been on the on the throne for so long. I can see either way because there's just going to be so many interactions. So yeah. are you thinking that maybe he's conniving and mean enough to? Or the murder of a princess? I don't. You don't? Really? No. Okay. No, that, that that doesn't make sense to me. But we're well, going to get there we'll later. We'll get there, yeah. We are going to totally get there. Let's move forward, though, to the next set of players that I'm going to talk about. Because I know we're going to break up some of this so mm-hmm. that we don't have to hear me droning on this whole time. Because yeah. I'm already getting bored hearing my yeah, voice. Yeah, me too. When are we talking about the corgis? <laughs> uh, the, last one, the last two players that we're going to talk about who really, they're not direct players, but they're Diana's children. So there's Prince William, uh, whose official title is Prince William, Duke of Cambridge. He was born in 1982. And then there is Prince Henry of Wales, and he was born in 1984. So there's two, about two years. <laughs> Sorry. There's about a year and a half, two years between the boys. 
Dang you, Devin. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, I mean, people probably, as we talked about, they, they know William because he had a son two years ago and or three years ago, and then they just had the new daughter. Mm-hmm. Just sure. as of the time that we're recording this, that happened like a week and a half ago. Yeah. Ish. I mean, super, super recent. Uh, I miss that. Again, <laughs> I, I don't really pay attention to the British royal family at all. <laughs> <laughs> when Diana died, the boys were respectively... 15 and 12. So William was 15. Henry was 12. I know they walked in the royal procession with the coffin. Mm -hmm. And they don't play any direct role in our story. They're more what I think we would refer to sometimes is kind of collateral damage. Yeah. Because they're Mm -hmm. the ones who have to pay the price for everything that happened. Whether... Regardless of what happened. Yeah. Um, there's a very cute little quote, not that it pertains to our story so much. I think I know where you're going. It's a little story of um, when Diana and Charles got divorced, she was stripped of her what's called a style, which is the... Her title. Her most royal highness, right? She's still Diana, Princess of Wales. And Lady Diana would still be there. Yeah, but she's no longer her most royal highness or her royal highness. Oh, well, I could live without that. And so she was stripped of that. And William, trying to comfort his mom, kind of comes over and... You know, pats her on the shoulder and says, don't worry, mom. When I'm king, I'll give it back to you. It was Which mummy. Which is so cute. Oh, mummy. I'm sorry. It's cute. I just think it's cute. Yeah. No, no. It's it's, a, it's an absolute, totally a thing that uh, an adolescent, pre-adolescent boy would say to comfort a parent. I also think it speaks volumes of, you know, kind of... It's this is their tragedy, and mm-hmm. we don't want to belittle that. In no, any way. no, absolutely yeah. not. And I, I think that's something to point out here mm-hmm. is that we're going to go into a lot about the family and a lot about different people. And I don't, I don't want anybody to lose sight of the fact that we understand that three people died, and that's a tragedy. <laughs> These boys lost their mother, yeah. and that's a tragedy. Yeah. So we're we're not going to dismiss that, but we've got to talk about. We've got to get into some of these yeah. things because that's just that's the nature of the beast. We have yeah. to like uh, we have to dig down and find a little justice for die. You know? Yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah. Somebody got away with murder, I think. All right, we're going to wrap up the players here. We've got two more people to talk about. Uh, they're t- they are the Fayeds. Dodi Fayyad was the younger of the two. He was the son of Mohammed al-Fayyad. Dodi Fayyad was born in 1955 in Egypt. He was the son of a billionaire named Mohammed al-Fayyad. He went to fancy schools in Europe. Uh, After school, he served as an attache at the UAE Embassy in London, Mm -hmm. UAE being United Arab Emirates. Uh, He worked as a film producer for a while. I assume bankrolling films with dad's money. But Mm -hmm. I don't know. But you've actually heard of some of these films, uh, Chariots of Fire, FX, FX2, Hook, The Scarlet Letter. Hook. Hook. The Scarlet, was, Hook. Wasn't The Scarlet Hook. Letter the one with Demi Moore? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. I um, never saw that one. I never one. saw it either. Uh, he it also, been I couldn't remake. even read the cliff notes of that book. Yeah. Why would I watch the movie? No, actually, that's one of the books that I actually managed to make it through. Okay. So, that anyway, we're off topic here. The, uh, he also worked for Harrods in London. You guys have heard of Harrods, I'm assuming. Yes. Been there yeah. many times. Yes. It's, it's pretty huge. And by the, by the way, his dad bought Harrods. So, Kid. Yeah. Being a rich guy enabled Dodi Dad to do really cool stuff, like hanging out on a 200-foot yacht in the Mediterranean yep. with the Princess of Wales. Yep. Yeah. How cool would that be? Mm-hmm. Very. Yeah. Uh, Dodi actually met Prince Charles and Princess Di way back in 1986 at a polo tournament. 
uh, after Chuck and I divorced in 96, Di started dating around and eventually started dating Dodie. Uh, which I think I think it was about July 1997. They, yeah. they they were only dating for I think like 47 days. Yeah, not long at all. Not long, yeah. Uh, and of course, um, Dodie died that night with Diana mm-hmm. in the car. They were in the car together. Yeah. yeah. His dad, Mohammed Al-Fayed, was born in Egypt in 1929 uh, and uh, married Samira Khashoggi, who was a sister of Adnan Khashoggi, who you guys have probably heard about. He's big major Saudi arms dealer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, that guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, did a lot of other stuff, too. Yeah, but yeah so, so Dodi was uh, the nephew of Adnan Khashoggi, I guess. Interesting, huh? But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they were only together two years. They only had one child. Later on, Al- uh, Mohammed remarried and had four other kids, but that was the only child by this woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alpha had founded a shipping company in Egypt, moved it to Genoa, Italy, in the 60s, he moved to London, uh, fell in with the Emir of Dubai, and luckily, big you know, for him, big things were happening in Dubai. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was he got in Dubai, right. Yeah, and then when Dubai found oil, or uh, that region found oil, and yeah. so it suddenly started booming. Yeah, Dubai actually is is doesn't have a huge amount of oil itself, but they're kind of like the Hong Kong of the Middle East, and so there, there's a lot of shipping through the everything country, comes through. And a lot of financial transactions okay. take place there. Yeah, I knew so, that it was something like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. they're extremely wealthy. Lots so. of imported camels, too. Yeah. There's no, that's a true thing. True? Is that true? Steve's, really? Steve's laughing. Yeah, they import their camels. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm really laughing. Yeah, yeah they do. Yeah. yeah. So he was involved with all kinds of different business dealings. He was worth well well in excess of a billion dollars and still when, is. When, when that meant something crazy. Yeah, exactly. And still now, but yeah. when that was insane. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, there weren't that many billionaires back in, back in the way, way back in the, in the 70s? Day. Yeah. yeah, no. Yeah, he, uh, and by the way, he also bought the Ritz Hotel in Paris in mm-hmm. 1979, which is kind of where our story begins. It does a little bit, yeah. So, yeah, enough about it. The Ritz Hotel, not not in 1979. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, no. <laughs> no, no. That's an odd bit of Wayback Machine. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, at the Ritz Hotel, it all originated there. Uh, Dodie and Diana were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, yeah. Actually, on uh, Saturday, August 30th, uh-huh. 1997, so I guess a, a few few years after mm-hmm. <laughs> 20 of them bought the hotel uh princess diana arrived in paris with her then boyfriend as we mentioned dodi fayed via private jet as we mentioned al fayed mohammed mohammed al fayed which is dodi's father owns the ritz hotel and diana and dodi planned to spend the night there they had spent the nine preceding days and nights together as well um, kind of just bumming around. I believe they were on a ship, right? They were on a 195 oh, foot a yacht or something. Freaking yacht. A giant yacht. 195-foot yacht, yeah. Super yacht. In the Mediterranean. A ship. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Kind of. The head of security, uh, Henri Paul, right? Yeah, Henri, We've seen it both yeah. ways. It's French, so I think it's Henri, but yeah. a lot of people say it's Henry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. We'll probably just call him Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Paul. Mr. Paul. Oh, we. Yeah. Uh, he had been instructed to drive Dodie and Diana in a rented black Mercedes Benz from the hotel to an apartment that Alfayette also owned in town since the paparazzi were becoming kind of a huge issue and the couple wanted some privacy, which I think is totally understandable. I guess we kind of just, I just kind of ran with this. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm ready. I had an energy drink. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm ready for it. Uh, we're talking about the crash, the overview of the crash. And the, the night death, they died. The night that Dodie, Diana, and uh, Mr. Paul Henri died. Yes. Okay. So we rolled out of the so players. So we're not we're talking about players actual, anymore. The we're in events. the story. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just too excited about this. I'm so sorry. Finally, after months of research, yeah. we can tell our story. For real, though. A decoy car left the hotel just prior to the real car, which uh, was meant to distract most of the paparazzi. It's, I think it did actually lure quite a few of them it, away. Many of them. Many, many. Most of them. Most of them. At 12.20 a.m., so I guess it's August 31st now, Dodie and Diana departed by the rental car driven by Henri, who many report had been drinking that night but may and may have been taking some prescription pills. That would have impaired his ability to react quickly, like, you know, you'd want your driver to be able to do. And, and we will yeah, talk about that in yeah, a minute. Yeah, we're going to go this really deep. And in fairness to, to Henri, uh, he actually got, maybe you're going to talk about this, but he actually got off duty at 7 p.m. Yeah, and then... And uh, then, was, then, then it was basically called back by Dodie, mm-hmm. who insisted that he be the driver. Yeah, yeah. So that, it's not yeah. as though... Yeah, I don't know that we were going to... We we, the timeline had been brought up at, at any point for later on. But yeah, it's a, there's mm-hmm. a three three and a half hour gap between him getting off shift Mm -hmm. and suddenly being back at work. Yeah. 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 So it's reasonable that he could have had a drink or two as he would want after work. Probably. Sure. A member of the Fayed family security team named Trevor Reese Jones was also in the car. He was actually, uh, he actually survived the crash. Yes, he did. He was in the front with Henri Mm -hmm. and then Diana and Dodie were in the back. Yeah. And I've heard conflicting reports about whether or not he was wearing a seatbelt. I have two. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's... But his airbag did go off, so... His airbag did go off. And again, he may or may not have been having a, wearing a seatbelt. It's unclear. Nobody else in the, in the car was wearing a seatbelt. Yeah. So he was in the front passenger seat. Uh, Henri was driving, and Diana and Dodie were in the back seats. Despite the decoy car, many paparazzi, paparazzo, paparazzis. It's paparazzi, plural. Paparazzo is a singular. Yes. Paparazzi were still managed to realize that this was the real car and were following this car. Uh, Reports vary, but it's possible that Diana was not, in fact, actually sitting in the seat like you would actually sit in a car seat. Some reports say that she was actually like kneeling backwards in the seat. So her, her knees and legs and shins would have been on the floor of the the back passenger so her seat. feet were underneath under the underneath the, the the front seat mm-hmm. and that she, so was, she was like leaning backwards. over the seat where you would usually put your bottom yeah right is that a good yeah. description of yeah. that and and that was because of the paparazzi. She was trying to not be photographed. And I guess you would kind of feel, you know, you kind of get wedged in there. That would feel kind of safe. I, I don't I don't think it was a good decision. Well, no, no, no. I've seen, I've seen people do that where they crawl into the floorboard of a car to avoid photographers. And it never fails. Somebody takes a picture of them peeking up out of the floor well, looking like a ding dong with that deer in the head. Headlights look and it's like, man, just sit in your seat and hold your jacket up so they yeah. can't see you yeah. and be comfortable. Yeah. But but it was also a long ways to be sitting in that position. Yeah, it was it was a while. So Henri was driving 
pretty fast. We'll talk about this in a minute. Yeah, we don't know exactly how fast. We don't know how fast, it's... but definitely faster than the suggested, what, 35 miles an hour? 30, 35 miles an was. hour. A lot faster. A lot that, faster yeah. than that, definitely. At least twice as fast, probably more. Maybe. And right before he entered an underpass, or right as he entered an underpass, he lost control of the car. And we'll talk about why in a minute. Yeah, somebody uh, is coming actually the, out of the underpass. They go in the other direction mm-hmm. in, the, at the, in the inquest. Actually mm-hmm. reported that he was, it was speeding in at a high speed and he appeared to be veering to his left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for yeah. unknown reasons. Yeah, so we don't know. There's a lot about this that we don't know. So I'm just going to kind of go... Yeah, this is facts, kind of a brief overview. Facts that we 100% know happened. We know he lost control of the car. Yes. For why, we don't know, but we know he lost mm. he lost control of the car. He swerved kind of into the oncoming lanes, like to his left. Not... He didn't make it into the oncoming lanes, but he swerved towards the oncoming lanes. Yeah. And hit one of the support beams of the underpass. It was the 13th support beam. Ooh. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and let's let's kind of give everybody a bit of a description here. This is almost like an underpass tunnel. It is, yeah. yeah. It's an underpass and there, tunnel. it's not, Sorry. you know, we all we have underpasses that we all drive through all the time, and there's maybe one or two pillars. There were, I think, on the order of thirty plus, maybe forty pillars. Yeah, it was under a large, large road. And yeah. they were they were like every ten or 15, 15 20 feet. So they were yeah. Cool. yeah. It was a very long distance. That's the thing about and it. And they is, were very it's, closely it's, spaced. It's essentially on the outer walls. It's kind of like smooth tiled it's walls. It's just stone. And then the yeah. inner part, the the separates the the, the northbound and southbound lanes, or mm-hmm. eastbound and westbound lanes, I guess. Mm-hmm. Is all these columns? Yeah. And the, sad, the tragic thing about this is that this, these deaths would have been very easily preventable if the city of Paris would just put a guardrail on either side of those. This posts. this particular tunnel is the only tunnel that doesn't have them. Yeah, it still doesn't. Every, by the way. every no, other tunnel yeah. does it's still, have that. It, it yeah. still doesn't, and apparently a lot of people have died in that tunnel. Yeah, not yeah. just Princess Di. Yeah. Anyways, oh, yeah. back to the <laughs> Sorry. story. Yeah, so wow, we he, so easily distracted so today. Easy, yeah, I mean, we got so much material to go over. And we're so like, Wee! the car hit one of the support beams. It was the thirteenth support beam, as I said, and it caused the car to spin like kind of backward. <laughs> Kind of, you know, it ran into it, and then the momentum of the back kind of kept going. The tail, yeah, the tail spun, spun around, out, so, 180. so the car is now facing backwards, and it kept going and came to crash on the left side of the car up against the wall of the underpass tunnel, right? Yeah, exactly. It was the so driver's the, side. So Di, Di and company not only had this this big impact on the front mm-hmm. that was, you know, deadly, but then they got then flung around on the inside and they're, they're getting and their heads smash. beaten against, you know, mm-hmm. steer, you know, all kinds yeah, of and, stuff. Yeah, and to, just to try to visualize this a little bit for folks to put into words and maybe help, because it, it was confusing. Every description I read made it confusing, is if you're in the States... You're driving on the right-hand side of the road, and you have a left-hand lane next to you, and those are both the same direction of travel. Car in the left-hand lane hits something, and it does a 180. 
So this is, to me, is a very simple way to describe it. I mean, you hit the car in the left-hand lane, hits something head-on, does a 180-degree spin, and then continues to skid backwards so that it is now facing, was originally traffic moving in the same direction, is now oncoming traffic. The impression I had actually was that it attempted to do a 360, but, but ran it hit into the wall. the wall. Yeah. Right, and that's why I'm calling it a 180, because yeah. it spun... Because of that impact, it bounced from what was the left lane, the left edge of the left lane to the right edge of the, the right, right lane. And yeah. it's now facing the opposite direction. Yes, yeah. and now it's facing the yeah. direction it came from. Honestly, just look up pictures. Yeah, like, and, there's, and, there's, and one, there's... yeah, one reason it spun is that it didn't hit dead on center. No, it did it not hit, hit square. The, it hit on the driver's side. Mm-hmm. And, well, so and that's, and that's the, the only reason the guy around. who survived survived is if that thing had hit square on, yeah. there so, would have been no survivors for any amount of time. Well, there would have been if they'd all been wearing their seatbelts, possibly. Okay. Based on <laughs> the situation, yeah. none of them would have survived. No. Yeah. But well, again, I've, I've drawn us off track. I apologize. Yeah. So the photographers, paparazzi, that had been following the car, they were a bit behind because they weren't driving as fast as Henri. Because uh, yeah. they couldn't. Because they couldn't. They were, uh, they, were all, they were pretty much all on motorcycles, I right? I think, yeah. But when they arrived, many of them ran to the crash to help victims. Some, who are truly just human garbage, Scumbags. did not and decided that they would just take some pictures yeah. of the accident instead. Uh, in defense of those guys, though, I mean, there's only so many people that can reach in there and take people's pulses and stuff like that. So you might as well be taking pictures, I guess. I don't think yeah. that's... I think that... You know, that was one of the reasons that this was such a huge scandal is because there was such a huge capitalization on a giant tragedy. If you're the first person on a scene like this, the fact that you're like, well, I can't help, so I may as well make a whole buttload of money just makes me think that you are one of the worst kind of human beings. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. But but some of them actually did administer first aid. Yeah, some of them did try to help. They did try. Uh, both men on the left side of the car, which was driver Henri Paul, and then the real passen- rear passenger, uh, Dodi Fayed, were dead. I think pretty much on impact. On impact with the pole. Yeah. Or the column. There's a whole list of their injuries, but it's safe to say they were they were super dead. Responders apparently, first responders, medical responders, did apparently try to resuscitate Dodi, but I think that that was probably more for Diana's sake than anything else. Why, why do you say that? Because I know Diana didn't die right away, but why was right. it for her sake? Well, so, okay. So one of the reasons that you would administer CPR, by and large, I don't know if people know this or not, but by and large, CPR does not successfully resuscitate people. Sometimes it happens. Very rarely. But very rarely does it actually happen. Nine times out of 10, if a first responder is performing that, it's to calm the people who are bystanders or loved ones. So if you have a woman who is ostensibly in love with a guy, whether or not that's true, right? Cares about this person, is probably in shock, massive shock, probably has huge injuries. The last thing you want her doing is also freaking the crap out. Why are you not helping? Yes. Uh Okay. So. I see where you're heading. That's my opinion. That's not something that, you know, people say around, but in my opinion, that would be, they would be more trying to do that just to kind of calm her down a little bit yeah no no that makes sense and i've read the the research on how ineffective cpr is in most situations because cpr is for getting the respiratory process going and getting the the pulmonary process going but most things that people fall down dead from 
are not bad. Yeah. So that yeah. doesn't tr- that doesn't stimulate anything because those aren't the 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 causes. Well, it doesn't restart. It just helps yeah. circulate until you can restart. Correct. So. I got it. I got it. Mm. Okay. Anyways, as Diana, Diana, as I said, was reported to have been kneeling in the back seat, and reports do differ. Either she was still in that position with her, you know, back to the road, or sitting in the back seat with her head rested on the back of the front passenger seat. So depending on what position she had been in in the crash, most reports are that Diana had no serious outward injuries, which has been a big reason for a lot of conspiracy theories especially the more sinister ones she was conscious she was rumored to have been murmuring oh my god and leave me alone one photographer who was trying to help said that she was sitting on the seat with her head rested on the front of the seat with blood coming out of her nose and ears and that her feet were stuck that he had tried to help her out of the car her feet and her were feet stuck were underneath stuck the, under the, the seat. front seat yeah he said that he told her that help was on the way and she just blinked and didn't say anything and and as a side note, there are um, photos of her after the accident I know. sitting in a car. Those guys, some of those guys did take pictures. Yeah. There, well, there's there's a one very iconic photo of like people kind of standing around her, and she's just sitting there, totally unaffected, totally fine. From a lot of stuff that I've read, and I'm inclined to believe it, that's actually a photo from earlier in the night when she was getting into the car. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, there was paparazzi around when they got in the car leaving the hotel. Yeah. And if you kind of look closely at that picture, it doesn't look like the car's trashed, really. And I, it's really, it's a super zoom in. There are photos that are probably her of, you can kind of just see the top of her head and like the car is super trashed and that, it, that I, yeah. I'm inclined to believe that that's her, but I don't think that one picture, a lot of, I've read a couple things that said that's actually a picture from early in the night, and I'm definitely inclined to believe it. I think you'd be able to tell, because yeah. the car, I mean, if you've seen pictures of the car, and I'm sure you guys have, mm-hmm. it was destroyed. destroyed. Oh, and then they oh, had yeah. to cut the top off mm-hmm. with the Jaws of Life to get yeah. people, yeah. like that car was... Mm-hmm completely blitzed once they were done with it oh, yeah. after the accident and after the recovery. Oh, yeah. And the pictures that I that I do believe, it's after the Jaws of Life, you can see Diana's little blonde head sitting there in the seat. Little blonde head. Like, I mean, that's what it is. Yeah, she had a little blonde head. A little blonde head. But the one that is a, apparently that people say, you know, oh, look, she's not injured at all. It's from earlier in the night. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I totally, I'm, I'm on board with that. Yeah. Trevor. Remember Trevor? Yeah. Trevor yeah. Reese Jones. Uh-huh. Yep. The other guy. He was conscious, but he sustained really serious facial injuries because the airbag had deployed. Again, no good reports on if he had a seatbelt or not. I don't think he probably did. I've heard he was the only one who had a seatbelt. I've heard that too, too. but I've also heard that he didn't have a seatbelt. It's hard to tell. I think what is important to note is he hit his head really hard. And I kept asking the question. I actually asked you guys this question just right before we started uh, recording. I was like, oh, yeah, there was a survivor. How come he can't tell us what happened? And it's like, oh, yeah, he hit his head really hard he probably lost his memories from hours days weeks before yeah. i have known people that have been in serious accidents and mm-hmm. they say they have no memory of it yeah no memory I've, whatsoever i've been in car accidents where the yeah. airbag went off and mm-hmm. i remember the airbag going off but that's it mm-hmm. like i don't remember minutes prior or minutes after because it's just such a wallop to the noggin yeah, yeah i was yeah. i mean i was in a car accident recently and i didn't even hit my head and you know the like minute the before shock. impact i'm just like i don't know what happened I'm sorry. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So 
let's talk about the timeline of emergency responders um, real quick. Yeah, this, this really sets some people up. The, it sets me up a little bit. Some, some red flags here for me. The first emergency officials to arrive on the scene were two police officers, and they arrived around 12.30 a.m. Two more officers arrived at 12.32 a.m. Dr. Jean-Marc Martino, a specialist in anesthetics and intensive care treatment, who was the doctor in charge of an ambulance, arrived around 12.40 a.m. The princess was removed from the car at 1 a.m. Jaws of life take a while. You want to safely remove somebody yeah. from a car and make sure their neck is You don't just open the door and yank, and them, yank out. them out. No. Well, some no. people do. And if the car is on fire, do that. Yes. But otherwise, don't, don't do, do that. that. Don't move them now. You'll get sued. She went into cardiac arrest and following external cardiopulmonary resuscitation, so CPR, mm-hmm. she was resuscitated, I guess. She was moved to the ambulance at uh, 1.18 a.m., and then the ambulance departed the crash scene at 1.41 a.m. and arrived at the hospital at 2. The journey was, it was about a 30-minute, 25-minute, 30-minute long drive from the scene to the closest hospital. Yeah. Or right. not, I'm sorry, not the closest hospital. We should clarify, there was a hospital that was closer, but it was a very small it hospital. Was not and well set the up. doctor yeah. in the ambulance decided, we're going to have to move her if we take her to this one. We may as well just take her straight to this other one that's way more equipped to deal with all of the injuries she's dealing with and not have to, you know, move, get her kind of stable and then move her. And, and one thing I want to address is a lot of people freak out about this timeline. Why did it take so long to get her into the ambulance? Why did it take so long for the ambulance to leave? And what they don't think about is the fact that she went into cardiac arrest mm-hmm. and they needed to stabilize her. And a moving vehicle is a vibrating object with it stops and starts which is going to have an impact on the health of somebody whose heart rate is unstable already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons that they didn't just, as you see in the TV shows, flip the flashing lights and, you know, mm-hmm. gun on the gas pedal and rock it down the road. They couldn't do that. Yeah. yeah. It does make it a little more difficult. It does. Yeah. It is, you know, that's, it seems like a long time. I think, you know, half of me wants to say, that's a long, 20 minutes in between all those things, that's a long long time the other part of me that's you know first aid trained and things like that wants to say no that's totally reasonable yeah. so i you, you know i'm on the fence on that one I, yeah no i i totally i side with the the, mm-hmm. the doctors and medical professionals yeah. in this one because yeah. you don't just go bouncing people around who yeah. have just gone yeah. through all that and yeah. besides which you know if these guys had really wanted to like kill her by slow boating the whole process of getting her to the to the hospital you don't really need to do that. Get it, rush her to the hospital, which, which looks better, and then later on you smother her with a pillow. It's not hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or rush her to the hospital knowing that that's going to make things worse. It's going to exacerbate yeah. the situation. Yeah. But- so once she made it to the hospital, uh, it was discovered that her injuries were just incredibly severe. Her heart had been displaced to the right side of her body. That's not Yeah, which, of course, tore the pulmonary vein and also the heart of her wall. Surprise, surprise. The wall of her heart? The wall of her heart, not the heart of her wall. (laughs) Whichever, you know. (laughs) Extensive attempts were made to resuscitate her, including internal heart massage, right? Which I think you can probably figure out what that is. Somebody with their hand in a chest. Yeah, they cracked her open Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. gave it a squeeze or two. Yep. 
But at 4 a.m., she was pronounced dead. At 2 p.m. the next day, Prince Charles and Diana's two older sisters arrived in Paris to collect her body and took it directly back to London. And she, this is another thing that kind of set some people off. She was actually embalmed before she was taken back to London. There was an autopsy done, although I don't think it was... It's very cursory. It was really cursory. I mean, you know, when somebody's heart has been displaced to the, the other side of their body, I think people kind of say, uh, yeah, yeah, that probably did it. You probably don't need to go into great depth. Yeah, why would you pull out every organ and weigh them and check them and, and run all this? Yeah. It's very obvious that what happened mm-hmm. is everything from the left shifted to the right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other consideration, I think, and you know, this is probably fair, is that they didn't think that her loved ones needed to see her in... Uh, the state that she would have had to have been in had they done all that extensive mm-hmm. stuff. Mm. They kind of just did the things they needed to do and sewed her up and got, you know, got her cleaned up and sent her on her way, which I think is fair, but that does set a lot of people off, which I think is also fair. Yeah, that's, that, that raises a lot of things. Yeah. There's some weird stuff in the crash that we should go back and address real quick. One of those things is that there may have been and probably was, and by probably was, I mean, I'm 99.9% sure there was, (laughs) another car involved. The French police issued a search warrant for a white Fiat Uno. Which is basically a small small hatchback. hatchback. It's a little dinky car, but a 1,500-pound car. Yeah, they they weigh nothing. It's like the cheapest hatchback car in the world. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. And apparently the the way they figured it was a white Uno is they found further up the roadway where the the Mercedes had been before it crashed, they found a broken taillight from from an Uno. Yeah. And then found white paint. Mm Mm-hmm. On, on the, the side Mercedes. of the car, and they figured mm-hmm. out this. He must have sideswiped, sideswiped mm-hmm. a Fiat Uno. Yeah, and that maybe caused the accident, or yeah. it certainly couldn't have helped things. And let's be very clear here: despite some of the accusations that have been thrown around, that we are going to say later in the show, <laughs> uh-huh. this car has never been found and identified. The driver has never been identified. Yeah, yes. we do not know who was driving this car, or why, or what they were doing mm-hmm. there. And police did look at thousands of them. They looked at thousands of them. Yeah. Another weird thing is a bit of reporting about the bends. Initially, it was reported that the car had been doing 120 miles an hour, which is 190 kilometers per hour. Which Um, is insanely fast. Really, really fast. And that the speedometer had jammed in place when the impact first took place. Later, investigators corrected that and said, no, 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 the car was doing like 60, 70 miles an hour and that the speedometer was digital, so it couldn't have been jammed in place. But the manufacturer of the Mercedes-Benz Mercedes-Benz actually said that the speedometer in this model, and this is corroborated by all of the literature about these these cars, this make and model. Yep. Is, Which I've read through a lot of yeah, that. Yeah, that the speedometer is actually computer-controlled analog, and though the car was certainly traveling faster than it should have been, the speedometer automatically resets to zero when a crash occurs. Which right. you would expect, because it hit something and went to zero. So it's not moving anymore, so the speedometer is going to say, oh, zero. 
Yeah. You're doing zero miles an hour right now. Yeah. Yes. Fair enough. Yeah. But yeah, that the 120 miles an hour is a bit of an exaggeration, though. I agree. I'm yeah. sorry, but I've I've driven at those kind of speeds. It's insane. And it's it's on a flat piece of road. It's fine. I couldn't imagine trying to do that speed on a road that's got curves and humps and underpasses. Like if you're doing that, that's insane. I mean, mm-hmm. I've done it in short bits, but not anything like a regular surface road. Well, Henri had a he had extensive training. training on like, yeah. this is, I think this is why Dodie was like, actually, hey, I know you're off duty, but can you come drive us for a minute? Yeah, because yeah. Henri, he, he, he had, uh, well, with Mercedes-Benz specifically, he had done several driver training courses for anti-kidnapping and anti-terrorist situations, yeah. which for anybody who doesn't know, I mean, there's high-speed driver training like what cops do where you're in an urban environment and you're you're on the gas, on the brake, learn how to control the car. And then there's evasion tactics and how to control a vehicle when it gets hit. Yeah, These are the things, and this is specifically in Mercedes-Benz vehicles is what he got trained in. In this specific vehicle. Yes. Not this exact one, but this make and model. Yes. So, and for, as a general statement, most brands of vehicles, all cars in that brand are going to operate essentially the same. So, Mm. if I'm in a Ford Focus and then I jump into the Ford sedan, which is the next size up, they're going to operate essentially the same. And that's kind of the idea. It's just going to be a different kind of weight behind you. Yeah. But... I think it's worth mentioning. Yeah, the guy should have, he would have known what he was doing in these cars, in these high speed, possible, unpredictable road conditions. Yeah. Do anything else about the crash before we move on to theories? Oh, geez. What about the crash? <sighs> I mean, let me think. Now, they, no. after the spot where they found the Fiat taillight, mm-hmm. uh, they found 106 feet of skid marks. Mm hmm. Veering to the left and mm-hmm. into the 13th column. Mm-hmm. And then it's it appears that it, after the car hit the 13th column and swung, sort of half bounced off, swung around and came to rest up against the outer wall of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. It appears that the Fiat Uno must have driven past him on his left-hand side and left the tunnel. Yeah. Which suggests to me that maybe the guy in the Uno was either felt to be felt he was at fault or maybe he was drunk. Or suspended or something. Or something, and he just didn't dare stick around. And, uh, here's, you know. well, here's something we haven't talked about this, this whole thing yet that we should probably bring up now. Europe is chock full of CCT cameras. Oh, yeah. yeah. There is no footage of this chunk of the road into that tunnel yeah. because the cameras weren't on. Yeah, no, I think the yeah. I think There's the, multiple reasons. I mean, I've heard yeah. that they were down for maintenance. I've heard that they only run during rush hour times. I mean, I don't know exactly. Wh- I never got a clear picture of why they they well, weren't running. Yeah. Well, there's there there are cameras at the at the entrances of this tunnel, but and I got this from the in, the British inquest mm-hmm. about this thing, and they were not taped. They were just monitored in an office, basically, okay. and the office closed at 11 p.m. And so that's why there's no video or anything like that. That's insane to me that if you can if you can pull recordable footage, why you wouldn't at least pull it and put it, put it on a loop mm-hmm. so that you could 10 hours later go, oh, we really need the 2 o'clock this afternoon crash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. I agree. But... Well, yeah, I mean, this is 1997. This is, the, yeah, this no, is that's... 18 years ago. So, And most of the, uh, the CCTVs that were along the route were, were not even turned towards the road. 
Oh, weren't they? No, a lot of a lot of they're all. Uh, Mohammed Al Fayed was... made a made a, a huge stink about that, but it turns out they identified I don't know what maybe ten, fourteen cameras along that. But there that were some that were pointed towards the entry of the underpass, and that's I don't I, think so. I most thought there the, was a, at least one ones, or two. Most of the ones that they drove past were actually privately owned, and they were actually directed more towards security, so they were actually pointed at the front. Oh, of so buildings. they weren't actually road cameras. Yeah, no, no. They oh, okay. You know, in 97, I don't think highway cams were as See, ubiquitous I, as I they I understood are today. this as it, they were highway cams, so no. that's why I brought it up. No, no, no they weren't. Okay, well yeah. then, never mind. I'm completely off base on that one. Yeah, the only other thing I want to mention just briefly before we get into theories is that some eyewitnesses reported seeing a bright flash as the car entered the tunnel yeah. underpass. Yeah. I say that in an annoyed monotone, and we'll talk about it in a minute, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but, or I guess it's, we have to mention it. Yeah. We have to mention it, and it, it does it play will. into yep. this next theory, yep. which is the first theory Great. that we need to talk about. Okay. Theory number one, the paparazzi. They did it. They, they murdered, they murdered her. her. Well, they were responsible. Uh-huh. Uh, so let's let's do a little bit of here, or a little bit of info. We've covered some of this briefly, yeah. but let me just kind of run into some of this. Is It's interesting. It, it's obvious why they were interested in her. Yeah. She's Lady Diana. She is the uh, the ex-wife of Prince Charles, who is heir apparent to the throne of England. She's the mother of the future king of England. Correct. And then there's there's Dodi. He's his dad is this giantly rich man who has his fingers in so many pies. I mean, it it, it makes sense why they would be interested in both of them, though. Mostly, I'm pretty sure they were interested in Diana. Yeah. In the 90s, people may not know this. I mean, I think people are used to this now, but this was kind of record-breaking at the time. Is In the 90s, several photographs of celebrities started selling for tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of dollars to tabloids. This became a huge money-making industry. Oh, yeah. And while I personally don't think that it is a profession, it was a job that could make you a very rich individual if you got the right shot. Yeah, though, you know, the right shot being a picture of two people in a car. Yeah, if you got the picture of them doing the nasty when they shouldn't have been, that's one thing. Making out on the beach or the yacht, sure. Yes, but traveling car, by car, not so interesting. Yeah, I know. It's a, it, they really, it really wasn't all that necessary to drive fast. I mean, Christ's sakes. I mean, unless they were trying to lose them, which they, they weren't were. about to do. I think they were trying to lose them. They, they didn't want to know where the. They didn't want them to know where the apartment was. Because yeah. the idea was they're swarming the Ritz. Let's get away from the Ritz. Let's go to the 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 apartment so that they don't know where we're at. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the idea. Yeah. Let's let's talk about some of the paparazzi, specifically the ones who were chasing them. Yeah. There were there were there were nine of them who were charged with manslaughter in France based on the accident because they were they were deemed to have been in some way responsible for the accident. Yeah. Those charges were thrown out in 2002, which makes sense when you think about it. I don't think they were there. So yeah, that makes sense. There were three of them 
who were convicted of invasion of privacy for taking pictures of the couple. And this is so weird. So dumb. <laughs> they were fined in 2006, one euro a piece. Mm-hmm. I suspect Symbolic. that's about what they sold their photos for. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I really don't understand how you can make any money taking pictures of Diana because everybody was doing it. Yeah. You'd have so many, to get a really compromising a, photo. Yeah, you would. And then the, the guys that took the photos at the crash site probably could have sold them for a lot of money, but there's a lot of scuffle about that. But let's let's just kind of let's move into the actual theory portion here. So people believe that the paparazzi are responsible for the crash in two different ways. As we just briefly touched on, the first is that they were responsible because they were chasing the couple. Because as we talked about, they sent the decoy car out, and then a little bit later, you know, most of the paparazzi chased the decoy car, but not all of them took the bait, and some of them figured out that they were still there, and they chased the car from the back of the hotel, where they actually left from. Of course, then that meant that it's their fault that they were driving so fast and so erratically to try to escape them. I do want to point out, and we we touched on this earlier, is that the paparazzi were on motorcycles, a.k.a. mopeds. Like Vespas. Like a Vespa. So one guy driving, one guy on the back. So two dudes on a Vespa, which doesn't have a high speed. It's super maneuverable, so you can get in and out and get your photos and get out. But you cannot keep up with a Mercedes-Benz S280. That thing has a V8 engine in it. Yeah, and it was being driven pretty quickly. It's a high-power car. It's going to be able to escape them quickly. But the point is, it's, it's theorized that if they had just not done their job so well is a way to say it, mm-hmm. then, of course, Henri wouldn't have had to drive so fast to try to escape them or evade them that then this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. yeah. So, although, although, you know, I would argue that if I were their lawyer, I'd argue that, you know, hey, these people were trying to escape my clients. They should have found more creative ways to escape my clients than driving like at breakneck really, speeds really through the middle of Paris. Agreed. Yeah. I'm not, yeah, no, that's that's a absolutely valid point. Yeah. I, I, I think that uh, these guys just need to get creative about evading paparazzi. I think they need <laughs> to hire me. I would, I, would mm. help, I would help them figure it out. Uh, well, you know, the easy answer is blacked out windows. But hey, what do I know? You can do that. The other version of the theory is that they caused the crash directly. This is kind of an outside theory, but it is one thing, it's one of the theories that Muhammad Al-Fayed really, really gets in bed with. Gosh, one of the hundreds. Oh, that guy, what was it, like 70 or 80 theories he purported to yeah. the Inquisition saying this. I heard it was more like 175. Yeah, it's, it's some yeah. absurd number. It could have been this, it could have been that, it could have been this, it could have been yes. that. Yeah. I mean, like, it, it, it's almost as if he sat down for three months and wrote down every idea that could have been possible and then submitted those but what he says is or what what the theory is is and joe talked about this earlier is there's the bright flash yeah. i yeah i mentioned that yeah yeah or it was you okay mm-hmm. thank you if this theory is right the bright flash was caused by the flash from a camera 
So there is a photographer trying to take a photo, and they take a photo, and the flash blinds Henri to the point that he can't see so that he loses control of the vehicle. People who saw the Mercedes enter the tunnel didn't say that they saw the paparazzi with them. So that makes me think that they had evaded them. So therefore, the, the whole flash thing seems a little weird. But we've also talked about the white uh, Fiat, the Uno. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There are theories that say that when the Mercedes was going into the tunnel, there was the Uno and three motorcycles. The first theory is that there's the Mercedes. Directly in front of and to the right of it is the Fiat. Trying to slow it down. Trying to slow it down and behind it is the motorcycles. Or the Uno is next to the Mercedes and then the motorcycles are behind both vehicles. Mm. This theory runs that the Uno was trying to get in front of to slow down the Mercedes so that the photographers on the motorcycles could get their photos, which I, I can see, but it, does, it doesn't work for me, or that the Fiat was trying to get up next to the Mercedes and take a picture. Both of these are saying that in some way, somebody with a super bright flash on their camera was getting next to the car and there was interference and that bright flash is what then blinds Henri so that he loses control. Mm-hmm. But that would take an, an amazing um an amazing intelligence network to come up with the, their route ahead of time to position a, a, a Fiat ahead of them. On their I route. call that blind luck yeah. to have been, holy crap, we're on the same route as as Diana and Dottie. Uh, Dottie oh my gosh, how could that be? Mm-hmm. But there's also this, and the, the witness accounts of everything going into the tunnel and out of the tunnel, they're unreliable at best. We've they're, talked they're, about witness statements as always, before. As always, yeah. there's some conflicts. They, they're they not all the same. Nobody reported, for example, I got uh, I read a number of different accounts that um, people uh, people who saw the Mercedes go into the tunnel, they were like coming out of the tunnel the other way, for example, and they didn't say anything about a Fiat, a white Fiat. Correct. Yeah, yeah. But I have seen stuff about reports of seeing coming out of that tunnel... Mm-hmm. Another black or possibly white Mercedes mm-hmm. that did, in fact, go in with them and speed out of the tunnel without them and disappear into the night. A different kind of Mercedes? A different Mercedes vehicle. So two Mercedes went in, one came out. Mm-hmm. and But the color of that second Mercedes changes from dramatically white to black. Depending mm. on what you see. Mm. Yeah. So I, I well, mean, if I, it was black, it could have been a decoy and Diana and Dodie are still alive. That's somewhere. probably what it is. Probably with Tupac. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. Maybe. And I know there was at least one other car ahead of them in the tunnel, too, because they also, the, the driver of that car reported the, the white flash also. Correct. And, and I know was, we're going to go into some of that. Yeah, in detail, we'll talk about but that a little later, but yeah, no. But... So it, it's it's hard because there's so many differing accounts. 
yeah. of so many, at least three, two to three vehicles. Yeah. Not counting the motorcycles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's hard. It's. I'm not sure where to where I land. I don't on know. This one. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I think the paparazzi are scumbags, but I don't think that per se it's their fault. I agree. Yeah. And that obviously yeah. they didn't deliberately do it because yeah. they don't want to kill Diana. Exactly. Oh no! Yeah. What a way to kill your paycheck. Yeah, for real. Well, let's move on to our next theory. Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is the fun this, one. Man, there is so much on this one. Just there. so you guys know, prepare, you know, take your potty break now if you need to. Joe has written an entire episode's worth of information on this next theory. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be talking fast, so yeah. stay on your toes. So the next theory is that the royal family, along with MI6 and the, and the SAS, got together and murdered Di and Dodie. What's, what's the SAS? Oh, SAS. Yeah, special... Yeah, SAS is Special Air Service, but what I meant was Special Service. Which They're is the, spe- like, the Special Air Service is the Special oh, Service. Yeah, Special right? Service like yeah. encompasses like they the, just whole, the whole be. ball of wax, like yeah. MI6, MI5. Mm-hmm. MI5 is counterintelligence, and then MI6 is overseas spying, yep. that kind of thing. You don't, you don't, if you've seen a stuff. James Bond movie, you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the this is this theory is put forward by Mohammed Al Fayed. Shocking! I know one he's of put, the hundred and seventy. Yeah, he's put together <laughs> he put together quite a bit of uh, cool conspiracy theories here. I actually I actually have a theory about uh, Al Fayed, which is that he's really proud of the fact that his uh, his son was dating Princess Di, and he just wants to keep reminding people about it. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk a lot about Al Fayed in a little bit. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. He is. Mm-hmm. So why did they do this? Why did the royal family want to murder Di? Hmm. Because, according to Al Fayed, Di was pregnant with his child. With Dodi's child, not Dodi's child. Not Al Fayed's yeah, child. Yeah, yeah, not not Muhammad's child. Hmm. And uh, apparently, they were going there on the brink of announcing their engagement. Can Can I stop you for a second? Yeah. Do you know how infuriating tabloids are? There's a baby bump. No, it's called a human woman who has a normal belly. Yeah. In a one-piece bathing suit, well, but and she has an abdomen. But it, it wasn't, wasn't the, ta- the it was the tabloids that were putting this out there. Well, no, but the tabloids put put out photos of Di's baby bump mm. and stuff like that. It's like, oh my gosh, you guys cut it out. She's just a person. She's it's, just been guzzling a lot of beer. Well, got a gut. It's it's particularly frustrating in this point. We haven't actually talked much about this, but. Uh, people may or may not know Diana was severely bulimic for a good portion of her life. And so that was something she actually struggled with. So it's like extra frustrating to know that she had those body issues and to hear, you know, the tabloids were like, Oh, it's a baby bump for her. (laughs) Oh, she's gaining some healthy weight. She she has 10 pounds of extra weight on. She must be preggers. Yeah. No. Annoying. Anyways. Well, it was the whole, the whole Diana thing was annoying, frankly. (laughs) I think I think Diana would have considered me her her, her ideal fan because I, I didn't give a damn. Yeah, <laughs> and I wasn't yeah. interested at all. <laughs> so yeah. Diana was pregnant. So and yeah. they were going to announce their pregnant engagement with Dodie's child. Mm-hmm. They were going to and so Prince Prince Philip, not mm. Princess Philip, Prince Philip mm-hmm. gave the order to rub her out because uh, <laughs> they obviously didn't want to have uh, you know like a. a Muslim child in the royal family. Islam. Yeah. Islamic. Islamic child. But, uh, and the service has apparently used a plan that was similar to one, surprisingly, that had been cooked up in 1992 to assassinate Slobodan, Slobodan Milosevic. Which involved a bright flash. With a bright flash, you guys. Bright flash. With a bright flash. Yeah. And bright flashes can do a lot, actually. Uh, 
You actually can, with a bright enough flash, you can actually stun people. Yeah. Actually cause them to conk out temporarily. You can disorient them hugely. But anyway, let's go ahead with this. Al-Fayed said, this is again Mohammed, that Henri Paul was working for an intelligence service and that he was somehow instrumental in the plan to kill Diane Doe. Which is funny because, you know, he... Killed he, himself. Well, no, he employed he, Henri. Henri, yeah, right? yeah. He was his deputy head of security. So. Yeah, of course. At the at the time, at, at the time, he didn't know this. He found this out later. Oh. I'll tell you his source. Mm. Somehow, he was, he was part of this plan, knowingly or not. He might have just been a cat's paw. Mm. But he also said that James Ondenson, who was a photographer, uh, was also working for an intelligence service, and that he was present at the accident. He was president of the president at the accident, wasn't he? Not the photographer. Really. Uh, James Anderson, no. But of course, this is just this is just the accusations of Muhammad Al-Fayed. Uh, oh, so okay. He says okay. that Anderson was working for an intelligence service. He was at the accident. Anderson, he claimed, owned a white Fiat Uno, which he had used somehow to cause the accident. His Fiat Uno was later examined by the French police and found to be the one that left white paint on the Mercedes on the on the fender of the Mercedes. Anderson died in May 2000 in suspicious circumstances in a car fire, which was ruled as a suicide. But Alfayed said that the unusual circumstances of the fire indicated that he was murdered by the security services, although he allowed that perhaps Anderson had just committed suicide out of guilt over murdering Diane Doty. So, uh, yeah, okay, yeah. okay. No, let's keep I'm, running I'm, with this one because I really, I do like this. I like this, but there's mm-hmm. red flags for me or things that I, I'm like, wait a well, second. But I know we're going to get to well, it, so sure, yeah, I'm going no to hold my tongue. Mm-hmm. This was, uh, yeah, this, this was something that was extensively investigated. It's not like he just made these accusations yeah. and nobody looked at there's it. There's a, yeah, there's the, uh, the Inquisition, Operation Pag- yeah, the, the Inquest? Yeah, what yeah. was it? Operation Paget? Uh, Paget? I, I, I think, I thought it was Paget, but Paget. I could be wrong. I don't know. Probably. Anyways, it's what, It's one of those Million things we mispronounced. Yeah, eight hundred and fifty pages long, or something. Rough, like that. I think it's eight hundred and thirty-two pages. I think we I, I read, all read parts of it at least. Parts of it, yeah. I, I actually, I got to tell you, I read hundreds of pages of yeah. that, and I didn't finish it no. by a long ways, no. but I read a lot of it. <laughs> but uh, this was one of the things they investigated in that, isn't it? This oh yeah, claim? Oh, yeah. yeah they That's how it's so long. You copy pasted. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They had a whole chapter on the on the whole MI6 royal family accusation. There were other accusations that were also kind of suspicious. Uh, there was a guy in the, in the British Embassy named Richard Spearman who apparently was supposedly MI6, and he showed up in Paris um, just like a few days before the accident, coincidentally speaking. Hmm. Uh, another guy named Nicholas Langman, also with MI6 supposedly in the Paris Embassy, arrived in Paris, he said, a week before the accident and left a week after. This is Mo- Mohammed Al-Fayed said this. That's what he said. Hmm. Although some versions of this say that he actually was, he actually arrived a couple of years earlier. And he was on a four-year posting, and then he was pulled out like a week after mm. the the murders, uh, which is like unprecedented because when you post somebody to a country, they have to go through all kinds of training specific to that country. They right. have to they have to go through language training and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. There's a big investment. Yeah. So if you pull somebody out two years into that's the four-year posting, that's a huge loss. Yeah. That's cost. that's right. Yeah. So how how to explain that Nicholas Langman was suddenly jerked back to to London mm. just like a week after? Mm-hmm. So that's that. that yeah. Uh, there were also two British photographers present 
at the Ritz on that night. Um, they both were overheard just to be speaking English. Nobody had seen them before. And the paparazzi all knew each other. Right. Everybody everybody knew everybody else. Oh, yeah. Right. So you're these always, guys were strangers. Yeah, you're so. always hanging out at the same places. You're going to get to know mm-hmm. each other. Oh, yeah. And so these two strangers were hanging out there. Well, what's that all about? Well, maybe because yeah. there's a foreigner. Maybe because there's a big crowd, and you know, and, and yeah. people are saying, "Hey, Princess Di is here." Maybe. No, no, well, that's crazy talk. <laughs> yeah. Crazy insanity. So almost all these claims originated with a guy named Richard Tomlinson, who was uh, an MI6 officer from apparently 1991 to 1995, mm. when he was dismissed under quote acrimonious circumstances unquote. Mm, I don't yeah. know what that means, but okay. Yeah, apparently, yeah, it was not uh, not a good term. So a dishonorable discharge? Yeah, okay. kind of like that. They didn't he, like him. Yeah. Tomlinson published a book about his time uh, in the special service in 2001, which was called The Big Breach. In the book, he details an encounter with a co-worker. His co-worker says one day, hey, take a look at this memo. Tell me what you think. The memo outlines basically three ways to kill Slobodan Milosevic, who we've all heard of. If you haven't, do, do a Google on him. The memo basically was about half half in, in just justifying the assassination of Slobodan. Like you'd have to. Yeah, exactly. And then the rest of it was like a, kind of a how-to. How do we do this? And so... One. There was one. Yeah. <laughs> bullet point number one. Yeah. yeah, bullet point one. PowerPoint presentation one. Uh, one Slide. would be that uh, special service commandos just assassinate him directly. Yeah, sniper rifle. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh, another one, option two, is that special service recruits local militiamen to do it, which is kind of a nice way to do it. Re- Clean, sort of nice. Yeah. yeah. And third one was, was as special service does it, but instead of using guns, they just kill him by causing his limo to crash. And the specific plan in this case was by using a blinding flash to blind his limo driver, preferably in a tunnel. Oh, that's right. That's why I was being an idiot earlier and thinking that this was a real thing. <laughs> yeah. I, You know, this is a big story. I it is. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's there a, are a lot of loose ends to tie together. A lot of details here. But when Tom was, Thomas had first heard about the circumstances of Di's car crash and he heard about that blinding flash, his memory was jolted and he suddenly went back to 92 when he saw this memo. Convenient. All of these details about this plot were in his book that he published in 2001. Mm. Uh, he also talked about how in 1992 he was working on an operation to recover weapons. And this actually, I'm not sure if this was in his book or not, but this is some information that he passed along to Mohammed Al-Fayed. He was working on an operation in 92 to recover high-tech weapons from the, from the former Soviet Union. And by the way, uh, this operation was found to have actually existed, so he wasn't completely lying about this stuff. Was, yeah, this guy was full of hot air at times, but not, not everything was was bo- bogus. Not everything was bogus. That's yeah. so hard. That that's like more frustrating to me than anything else, you know, because it's like, well, some of what you're saying is true, and it makes sense that people would try and cover up the other stuff that you're saying. So, is it true, or are you well, making it up? But that's that's the thing of is he really a spy gone rogue and been kicked out? Or is he actually, his mission is a plant to do these other things, to spin these other lies? That's mm-hmm. that's that's so the total hard. deep yeah. cover, yeah. really deep cover? Or are you just a jerk who lost his job and is spouting off? Yeah, there's but there's more interesting the whole, stuff about this, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, this guy's not done. Nope. Yeah, oh, no, no. He's, he's put out a lot of stuff, and almost everything, like I said, that Muhammad came up with, he got from this guy. 
Uh, anyway, back to that operation in the former yeah. Soviet Union. It was in collaboration with a big-time arms dealer who, maybe that was Adnan Khashoggi, I don't know. But it turns out he was in frequent contact with none other than Mohammed Al-Fayed. So there you him? go. Yeah, I know. Uh, and this is all by his memory, of course, of reading these files. The informant who reported these contacts had a code name. So he, Tomlinson didn't know what his real name was, but he was able to figure out from going through the files that it was a French guy who was head of security at the Ritz Hotel in Paris. That, mm-hmm. yeah. I, no, Henri was the deputy head. No, 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 I know yeah. it's not, I know we're not saying okay. that's Henri, okay, but, but they give people code names and they hold back a lot of information to protect those people. What? So yeah, if this yeah. guy is just like, oh, dude, totally figured that out. That was yeah. just a word jumble. I, 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 I I, I yeah. question sure. his credibility yeah. a lot. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, no, there's, there's really no point in assigning somebody a code name to protect his identity and saying, and then just like leaving information in there that obviously indicates where he works and what his job is. Yeah. Which makes it so easy. He I know. works on Fifth Street and but, yeah, Llewellyn yeah. He works at, at the, the local and... insurance company. But nobody will figure that out. So we'll no. just write that in the report. I mean, somewhere between floors five and seven. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But anyway, uh, we'll talk more about that. Tomlinson also heard while he was at special service that there was a member of the paparazzi who was with MI6, or, or at least an informant for MI6, who followed Diana on a regular basis. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, the Brits put together an inquest called Operation Paget, which we mentioned, which we mentioned a few minutes yeah. ago, which was a court of inquiry into all of these allegations. Because... Which this this thing has been beaten. This they uh, it got so mm. abused in the media. Yeah. Oh yeah, so many things got called out as weird and awkward and odd. And I don't oh, yeah. think we're going to go into any of not ever that no. logistical parliamentary process just to get people who have read up on this or watched certain documentaries because hmm. I watched a bunch of the documentaries I did just too. to try to find some of this stuff. Be warned, we're not going in. To this operation. Also be warned, I guess people may or may not know, I know Steve went in knowing this, but many of the documentaries about this have been produced by Al-Fayed. Uh, it, uh, yeah. A, a number, of, number them. of them. Yeah. There are some that are independently produced and some that are influenced or monetarily or politically by him. Back to Operation Paget. Oh, yeah. hope I'm not mispronouncing that. Uh, they contacted us, Special Service first, and they were given access to their databases and other documentation. And, of course, they didn't let just anybody look at that stuff. They had to, it had to be people with the appropriate security clearances. But... Which most of the people who were investigating this were, though. I mean, it was, yeah. it was a high-level investigation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Inquest. Yeah. So, first of all, the assassination memo. After Tomlinson left Special Service, he began to write his books. Uh, obviously, special, the Special Service was not really keen on this. They, they instigated civil, civil proceedings against him in 1996 to stop him publishing his book. Hmm. He was ordered, ordered to turn over his manuscript. Chapter 8 of the manuscript talks about the assassination memo. And in that version of the manuscript, it only discussed using a drive-by shooting to kill Milosevic. Hmm. That That's was a little different. That Weird. was in 1996. Uh-huh. Uh, in 1997, October 1997, after the deaths, uh, Tomlinson was arrested for official secrets acts offenses. His manuscript was seized again. Chapter 8, again, had a mention of the memo in there, but no mention of a plan to use blinding lights in tunnels to kill people. 
And then in May the following year, 1998, Tomlinson first met Mohammed Al-Fayed. And then in August 1998, Tomlinson changed his story. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, they're Shifting actually... Sands. Yeah. And the um, Operation Page actually was able to find that memo. It was written in 1993, and it did discuss the possible assassination of a certain Balkan extremist who was not Milosevic, but it didn't actually talk about it. It was only a justification for it as, as a as a way to pronounce, to, to prevent genocide sure. and, and ethnic cleansing and stuff like that. The sort of thing um, you want to prevent. Yeah, exactly. Although, actually, the, the guy who wrote it got in a little bit of trouble for it. Mm. But, but that was Shocking. About, yeah, that was about it. He, he, um, uh, he talked about the justification for doing it, but he didn't actually touch on any methods at all for doing any assassination. So, just... so was there any support for a, a bright flash of light? Uh, using a bright flash of light. Yeah. No, Tomlinson claimed that he was shown lights, the special strobes that were used by special service to, to, mm. you know, to, to blind people in helicopters or whatever. And special services says no. And, then, and they also point out that, by the way, you can get powerful strobes just about anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. So, you can. Yeah. yeah. Tomlinson apparently was shown this memo and he really and, and he recognized it and realized that was the one. Oh. And then he did a lot of this, actually. He did a lot of like sort of backpedaling. Shown the memo by, by Operation Page, he sort of says, yeah, this is the one. I must have misremembered that part about the blinding, mm. flashing lights that kill people in tunnels. Mm. And so he... Not to my away. recollection. Yeah. Uh, and I, again, the blinding white flash, the, the most people don't recall seeing the blinding white flash. Mm. It's not that well supported that... One of the one of the witnesses you saw was a guy named Francois de Viste, who was in a car with his wife in the underpass ahead of the Mercedes, mm. and he claimed to have seen a white flash in his rearview mirror. His wife did not. Well, it, passengers don't look at the rearview mirror. Yeah, but I also yeah. think that you know when I'm driving at night, if there's lights. Sometimes the light will catch the mirror in a weird way and reflect into my eyes, and I get really angry. I'm like, ah, who's the jerk with the brights on behind me? And I'm like, oh, no, it was just, you know, they were going over a bump. If the car was losing control and veering weirdly, yes. there's certainly yeah. a, a, a number it's of circumstances. It's going to be a wide arc, both horizontally and vertically, that the headlights It would have been really easy in. for it to just go real quick, and it would have flashed into his face easily explained as headlights right yeah. and yeah. also there were paparazzi in there yeah paparazzi with flash bulbs going off weird so, knows? Maybe. I know. so that's about it for the white flash i think a few other people reported it too but it's still not that conclusive mm -mm. of a thing to begin with mm -mm. Uh, as far as the two suspicious uh, mi6 guys at the british embassy in paris uh, remember we talked about those a minute ago Richard Spearman actually did arrive in Paris to begin a four-year posting on August 26, 1997, so just four days before Diane Doe showed up in Paris. But he had been appointed to that position in August 1996, which was almost a year before Diane Doe started dating. Mm -hmm. And also on August 26, when he arrived, nobody knew that Diane and Doty were going to be showing up in Paris anyway. I don't think so, anybody really knew. I don't know that they necessarily planned it. No, I don't think so. I don't think there was. There was talk that there were calls to the paparazzi when they were on their yacht, but that doesn't mean that there were calls to the rest of the world to tell everybody, "Hey, this is where we're going." Instead of, "Hey, we're here. This is where we're at." Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially if you have private security. Yeah. Yeah. 
So obviously you're going to probably want to keep most of your movements secret just to, for less hassle factor. Mm-hmm. But let's remember the other shadowy diplomat who, who came and went quickly before and after. the. <laughs> His name was Nicholas Langman. Yeah. Uh, he was recalled to London right after the accident. He was only halfway through his four-year posting. But actually he began his posting in 1994. Mm. Yeah, and he didn't go back to England until August 1998 after serving, well, four years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so uh-huh. August 1998. So he didn't leave the week after. He left a year after. The way, also, yeah, that, that sort of shoots a, a hole in that. There's a huge difference, yeah. 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 yeah, so let's move on to Henri Paul. Was he an MI6 informant? And, uh, well, no. Searches of the special service databases and telegram communications found no mention of him. And they had ways, when they were going through this stuff, they had, they had ways to figure out if, were, if information was being withheld from them. This is, again, Operation Paget. Mm-hmm. For example, the telegrams, uh, the telegrams were all numbered sequentially, mm. and the sequence was unbroken. Okay. And so that's how they knew that nothing was being withheld. And they, and they found no mention of Henri Paul except for one telegram dated November 18th, 97, which was after his death. After, yeah. Yeah, and that was it. Uh-huh. And uh, you would maybe mention that. Yeah, yeah, you'd think. Seems. Yeah. yeah, I could see his name coming up after the fact. Yeah, mm-hmm. that totally makes yeah, sense. Makes yeah. sense. Uh, as uh, as for the files that Tomlinson found, that the head of security at the Ritz was an informant. Uh, as I mentioned previously, the operation that Tomlinson described actually did exist, mm. and he was actually part of that. But Paget, Operation Paget, went through the files and found no reference to anybody working at the Ritz. Mm. Yeah. So Again, I think we've kind of we we already discredited that. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. So how about James Ondenson, the yeah. photographer, the paparazzi? Although, honestly, I should say out of fairness that Ondenson was not a full-time paparazzi. He actually did He other, moonlighted. He did all paparazzo. kinds of stuff. Yeah, paparazzo, you're right. I'm sorry. sorry. I, I forgive me. Yeah. But he did like to go down, like, uh, you know, in August, he would go down to the south of France and hang out there because there was money to be made, taking pictures of celebrities. Also, not, not a bad place to hang out. No, not at all. Did James Ondenson work for the special service? Did he? I don't know. Did he use his white Fiat Uno to cause the crash? Did he have a white Fiat Uno? As a matter of fact, he did. Okay. Yeah, turns out. All right. Was he murdered by the special service? I mean, it's suspicious. Because he died in suspicious circumstances. Ugh. Also, Anderson worked for a photography agency called SIPA, a SIPA press agency hmm. uh, based in Paris, which was raided by masked gunmen uh, several weeks after his death, and they took away all of his electronic equipment, laptops and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And the French police, to top it off, didn't investigate the raid at all. Oh. Yeah, what's up with that? that I mean, that so, is a little weird. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's all very suspicious. In this, fairness. This is all good, again, stuff put out there by Mohammed Al-Fayed. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're still, I was going oh. to say, wait, we need to warn people. Joe has just flipped in back into purported theory section. One uh, of 175 yeah, yeah. possible theories. This is, this 1001 is, Arabian Nights we yeah. just yeah, yeah. jumped back into. For so, all. Yeah, this is, the, okay. this is what, what's being said, but we'll talk, we'll talk about the truth or not of it. Operation Paget looked into Anderson, or Anderson, excuse me, and at first of all, they went to the database at Special Service and found nothing, uh, nothing in the files. He lived on a farm with his kids and his wife in, in Lignard. It's, it's, it looks like it's spelled like Ligniaris, but it's actually pronounced Lignard. Yeah, because it's uh, French. French. Yeah, it's French. It's 177 miles south of Paris. That's the crow flies. He returned from the south of France to the family farm on, uh, farm on August 28th, according to his diary and also according to what his wife said. 
And then on the 30th, he was at home and went to bed early because he had to get up early to catch a flight to Corsica for a, a photography assignment. Mm-hmm. His wife documented this. She, cor- she corroborated it. He had to drive up to Orly Airport. His, road, his drive up was on toll roads, so it was documented because he paid by credit card. Right. He entered the toll road at Burge near his home and then exited the road at 5.48 a.m., about 30 miles from Orly Airport, uh, and then bought a plane ticket to Corsica at 6.23 a.m. Okay. So conceivably, he could have used his... his uh, he, and he was driving his, a BMW. He mm. wasn't driving the, the Fiat The Uno. Yeah, the Uno was in bad shape, actually. Yeah, I was going to say, the Uno was a hunk of junk. Yeah, yeah, yeah I heard yeah. it was, like, undrivable. Yeah, pretty much. It, it was yeah. a garbage car. Yeah. Yeah, so he could have, you know, conceivably driven it out to Paris, caused the wreck, driven back down all the way to home, picked up his, his Beamer, and then driven back north again. That'd make for a long night. Also, his wife would have been a really, really heavy sleeper. Yeah, she would have had or to Or lying. Been. Yeah. Yeah, to not notice that. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, there's a lot of emphasis placed on Andensen in, in this, these theories. Yeah. Well, he's, he's an easy scapegoat, though. And especially since he's dead now. And well. he died under what people call suspicious circumstances, Let's which I, fair. I don't suspicious. think are. You don't? No, no. I, do. I, I don't think. Doing the research, don't think they're exactly suspicious. No. I mean, if you look at the, on the wiki page, it, it looks pretty hanky. Mm-hmm. But I, I found out the wiki page is all wrong. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Big, yeah. Big time wrong. Yeah. Yes, yeah. this is why I love yeah. Wikipedia, but it's not the end-all, be-all. Yeah. Mm. All right, so th- so there's one stake, a stake through the heart there of... Um, or so one nail in the coffin. That's a better way to put it. Yeah. One nail in, <laughs> one nail in the coffin is is that he, he can document pretty much doc, pretty much document that he was not in Paris that night. I think through the toll road receipt, yeah, uh, receipts and all that stuff, and his wife's testimony. Also, all the all the paparazzi at the Ritz don't remember, did not remember seeing him there. Again, it's a close knit close knit group. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. would think they would know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One of the photographers, a guy named Fam Van Sue, uh, a paparazzi, told Paget that, quote, if Anderson had been working in Paris that night, I would have known. He is not the kind of person to go unnoticed. Yeah. Apparently Anderson, or Anderson, excuse me, was a well-known photographer. Also, they went through the, the closed-circuit TV footage mm-hmm. uh, of the crowd in front of the hotel. And he didn't show up at all. Yeah, it wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't there. So, but the white Uno. The white, yeah, the white Uno. Let's talk about. It. It's like kind of like the white rhino, mm. yeah, or the white <laughs> buffalo, yeah, the white Uno. There was a guy who was uh, in the underpass or the tunnel, if you like it. Not the guy I talked about before. We saw the the blinding white flash named Georges Dazon. He was in a car in the underpass, and he was uh, he apparently. I don't know if he was passed. I guess he was overtaken by the Uno. He was going in the same direction. He going in the same direction. By. Yeah, the the Uno was swerving and driving slowly and kind of driving erratically, which would make sense if you've just been in this this near deadly crash and you've just also um, what's the word hit and run. You've like you know, you've left the scene of a serious accident. Yeah, you're 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 on the run. Yeah, so panicked. Passing the car, saw the driver. The driver's white male, short brown hair, uh, and there was a large dog in the rear seat. Maybe an Alsatian or a black lab. Yeah, but okay, I guess like in fairness, just to like butt in there, the Fiat couldn't have been already involved in the crash, right? If these people were reporting this because then they would have stopped to help with the crash. This is after the crash. This is after the crash. It's after the crash? This is after the crash. In a different... 
these people reported thing? these people reported seeing this car after the crash. Oh, after coming out of the coming out of the coming the tunnel. out of the underground. They were coming up and out of the tunnel, and this Got and they it. saw this car, and yeah, I know. The it's timeline confusing. is a little wonky for me, but okay. It yeah. is a little wonky. I well, agree. that's the problem. Again, we've talked about the this. Timeline's and, and the timeline's odd. The timeline is hard to hang on to. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, large, large dog in the back. Yeah, large dog in the back. His wife, Sabine, tells it a little differently. She says they were overtaken by the white Uno, which, swerved, which was swerving and nearly hit them. Mm. And then it slowed down, and then they passed the car. Which actually kind of makes a little bit of sense. They got, yeah. they got past the wreck, and they were jetting out of there, and then, you know, and and in the meantime, driver's looking in his rearview mirror, seeing what's going on behind him. Mm-hmm. You know, which would, and then and then it realizes, oh, I'm going too fast, and hits the brakes and slows way down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I don't want to draw attention yeah, to myself. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So he panics and then gets it under control. They uh, so they passed him again and again. She noticed that too. Her description of the driver was a little different, but she also noticed there was a big dog in the back with a long nose, and she's thinking maybe a German Shepherd. Mm. But the the Andersons. James, or excuse me, the Andersons. James oh. Anderson did have a dog, a Golden Lab, which is probably the same, the same as what we call a Yellow Lab. Mm. Right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, which he never took on assignments. Wait, a gold, he has longer hair than a yellow, but basically yeah. the yeah. same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I, if there was an Uno in the tunnel, and apparently there was, it does not appear to have been James Andenson's Uno. Yeah. Well, anyway, as as befits any vehicle that's used in the hit of the century, the Fiat <laughs> Uno that Andes, the Andenson family owned was traded in on another car rather than being sent to the bottom of a river. Right, because obviously it was involved. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah their son James Andenson Jr. needed a car, and a local Fiat dealer was offering 5,000 francs for any Fiat trade-in. Any? Any, even a, even a total piece of junk weird they would uh, yeah exactly and so uh they thought hey we've got this piece of crap in our barn in our, mm. our farmyard it's not yet. worth five thousand francs no, but that, let's I'll, do it yeah it barely ran and they mostly used it to haul trash from the house up to the, the gate of the farm which is about a quarter mile away and that was because mm. it was all thrashed on the inside right, right. what so, a terrible car to learn to drive in why now hey james go 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 take the trash down the road trash car. Mm-hmm. but but dad i don't know how to drive well you can't Learn. hurt the fiat <laughs> yeah. just take that yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Dad, years later, is like, God, you're such a terrible driver. Well, look what you taught me in. Uh, Trash car. <laughs> so back to Anderson and his farm and his car. Uh, the, the French police, uh, somebody dropped a dime on James Anderson in February 1998. They got an anonymous tip that uh, James Anderson was secretly a Yeti. And no. also, oh, that, come on, Joe. Uh, you don't Cut it out. All right. <laughs> Uh, the police in February 1998 received an anonymous tip that Anderson was the owner of a the owner of yeah. a white Fiat yeah. Uno, uh, which when, is suspicious apparently. Uh, yeah, yeah. Confronted by police, Anderson was evasive and sneaky, and told them that he traded the car in. And where he traded it in. Yeah, super sneaky. Yes, yeah, that looked yeah. took like no time at all. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's telling that it took him like uh, 15 seconds to, yeah, to run the truth out of him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, they tracked it to the garage where it had been traded in, and notably they hadn't sold it yet because they weren't about to sell because it. Because it was a piece of crap. Weird. <laughs> yeah, and they were able to examine it. It was in very poor condition, uh, which was confirmed by the Anderson family and also their neighbors who confirmed that the car was a piece of crap. Uh, they checked out closely the left rear of the car it, it was mostly pretty much undamaged uh, so if they had been sideswiped by the mercedes it would have been a really really light sideswipe enough mm-hmm. to leave some some paint traces but not enough to actually 
crunch anything. Yeah. Sure. That's a lucky grazing because if well, anybody anybody who's been in a vehicle collision, yeah, that is like going at one mile an hour through a parking lot speed to just barely scrape paint. That's a oops! I accidentally didn't turn the wheel hard yeah. enough when I was parking. Yeah, 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 yeah. not a. I'm doing seventy, and I just went. Next to you, yeah, and the, never uh, knew it. Well, the yeah. thing about it is, is don't, you know, let's not forget the left tail light was broken in the tunnel, mm. which I, mean, you're, I don't, I don't see how you can whisk by somebody and just barely touch them, leave a little paint, and still break the tail light. Mm. Well, know? Diana obviously had a hammer in her yeah, hand she while leaning, leaning out the window. Yeah, yeah. screw you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, Diana had a well-known hatred of Fiat. She did. Yeah. And taillights. I know. Yeah. The uh, the taillight had been replaced, although it was not a new replacement. It it hadn't been done recently at all. Also, it appeared that that back fender, from from the look of it, had had it had not been replaced. Apparently, they, there are telltale marks if you replace an entire fender of a car. The marks are left in place. I have no idea. Yeah. What, but but yeah. Well, no, most out. most body panels on older cars were pre-painted. Yeah. Before they were installed. Yeah. So it's not old paint so when you you know use the screws and the bolts to lock it in uh-huh. that's going to leave an impression in that new paint uh-huh. yeah. i've actually done this i pulled a body panel off of a car and the paint you could actually see where it had been impressed mm-hmm. by the the washers yeah. and stuff so yeah. mm-hmm. that makes total sense to me mm-hmm. yeah yeah and so the, the it had been Repainted, but at some point, but scratches and wear indicated that it was repainted a long time before August 1997. Probably rattle can paint job. Yeah. Uh, and according to the the original French police report, the paint sample they took from the Uno did not actually correspond to the white paint found on the Mercedes. Although it's from same time, from Andersons from Uno. the Andersons, Andersons, yeah, Andersons sorry, yeah. yeah, just to clarify. So it wasn't it wasn't exactly a strictly mm-hmm. from from their from their analysis indicated it wasn't strictly a factory. Okay, you know, paint. it wasn't factory paint. Yeah, yeah. yeah. although another outfit uh, called LGC Forensics reviewed the evidence and they they came to a, the conclusion that you, they can't tell one way or another. So they, <laughs> they so. came to the conclusion that it was inconclusive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Got exactly. it. Exactly. Dramatic. Cool. Yeah, uh, and also Anderson appeared apparently in a 1995 TV documentary, uh, and it, behind the wheel of his white Uno. And I don't know what the point of the the. I guess he wanted to talk about. He talked about how he'd gotten so many miles out of his. Oh you know, yeah, like a propaganda. But he drove the yeah. holy living yeah. crap out yeah, of it, yeah, like yeah. one does with a Subaru these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> got it. Yeah, yeah. I'm a Subaru commercial with 300 billion miles. Yeah. Yes. I know. Yeah. Uh, so the, uh, so the Fiat Uno, my conclusion is it makes nothing but, nothing but good sense to use your own car registered in your own name in which you appeared in the documentary as part of an assassination plot. That might be sarcasm yeah. for our <laughs> listeners who have been missing, that's a lot of the sarcasm. listeners that have been missing our sarcasm, <laughs> yeah. please understand that was sarcasm. Yeah, well, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think the reason that Joe is bringing this particular instance up though is because the world went crazy about him later oh, yeah. on. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah. he, he died. Yeah, yeah he, he did die later on. We'll talk about yeah. that in a minute. But the Uno, there were like more than 8 million of those things Yeah, sold, almost 9 right? million of these things made. Yeah, uh, made. It's like the Ford Pinto of, yeah. of Europe. Uh-huh. And, and, and in that time, white cars were pretty popular. Yeah, also... Um, 
The Uno is a really tiny car. If you're thinking mm-hmm. of going out and, and, and like running a, a big Mercedes sedan off the road, it probably wouldn't be your first choice, huh? No. Yeah. Lightweight vehicle hitting a super heavy mm-hmm. vehicle makes no sense not whatsoever. Yeah, no. yeah. And let's not forget the presence of the black dog that was in the real Uno that was seen at the scene. You know. But it's the dog's fault. Yeah. Yeah, obviously. It was the dog. It was too yeah. cute. And let's not forget just the, the general unlikely unlikelihood that, that Anderson could possibly have known that they were going to be coming down through that underpass, that tunnel, at that yeah. particular time. I think it's bunk. Yeah, it's all bunk. But there's more. Mm. There's more suspicious. Of course there is. There's more suspicious stuff. He died in May 2000 in a car fire. The police ruled that it was a suicide based on evidence and on statements that he'd made uh, to various people about how he'd kill himself. Under cer- certain circumstances, and gasoline had been poured into the interior of the car and lit. Uh, the fire was so intense that his head separated from the rest of his body. Oh, boy. Yeah, I know. There was a hole, in a, a hole in his skull that appeared to be from a bullet. Yeah. Uh, and most mysteriously of all, the car was locked, but the keys were nowhere to be found. Dun, dun, dun. I know. Oh, wait. Is that yeah. the Wikipedia bunk that we're... And, uh, yeah, it's one of them. Yeah, Muhammad oh, okay. al had actually cited this mysterious death as a reason to believe there was a conspiracy to kill Dai and Dodi, uh, that he was either murdered to shut him up or he killed himself because he was just guilty. As far as the keys not being anywhere in evidence, well, I couldn't find any evidence that that's true. It's not in the inquest report. Uh, and even Mohammed Al Fayed didn't say that, mm. so that tells you something right there. Yeah, so somebody tacked this one on the mystery. <laughs> even yeah. Al Fayed didn't say. It. Yeah. Also, our keys are metal. And... He drove the car there. Yeah. Well, no, Al Fayed brought this up because he drove the car to the location, and then the keys weren't there. So he's using that as evidence to say. Obviously, he didn't drive himself there, mm. and somebody who staged this forgot to leave the keys in the car. I was just mm. going to say, keys are metal, and like metal melts in fire or whatever. Or, yeah. I'm sorry, you know, I know we're going to go into this, but if somebody's standing outside the car, and they're having a bad day, and they're thinking about ending everything, and we've all seen people do this, they get mad, and they throw something... Which happens to be the damn car keys, and they land in a bush. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then yeah. no wonder they're not located. Yeah, let's talk about the bullet I, hole. Well, you know, actually, it also could be that he was just there, and he lost his car keys. He got back to the car, which is unlocked, mercifully, but he, he couldn't start the car, so he decided to kill himself. I, I actually <laughs> do not believe <laughs> that's the case think... based on everything we've got yeah. here. But... So, bullet hole, though? Yeah, the, yeah, the, the hole. Well, there was a, there was a decent sized hole in the skull, but it wasn't bullet shaped or round or anything like that. And actually, the medical examiner didn't find any slug, no bullet in his in his skull or anywhere in his body, and none was found in the car itself either. And also, there were natural processes by which this could happen. With due to the intense heat, you get pressure buildup inside the skull, and it can Just, actually... Uh, I'm guessing the hole was in the temple? Yeah. The kind temple the, region, which is thin, thin, thin. thin bone? Yeah. 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 Uh, and suicide by immolation, I think, is a bit unusual. Yeah, I, I agree. Right, if I were gonna duct- Especially in a car. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, if I were going to kill myself, I would probably duct tape a grenade to my head and pull the pin. And then Grim. go through... Nope. Dude. Bit, bit, bit. Nope, nope, we're nope. Done. We're not going to go there. <laughs> yep. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> okay. But still, it's not unheard of. I mean, people do kill themselves in all kinds of interesting ways. They do? Yeah. 
They uh, and the medical examiner found no signs of violence. There were no tire tracks in the area besides Anderson's BMW's tire tracks. His credit card was used that afternoon at a gas station nearby to buy 608 francs worth of fuel, which uh, police concluded that was more than was necessary to fill the tank of the car. So it looks like he filled filled up maybe a fuel tank or a, a fuel, you know, couple a couple of gas can, cans, a fuel mm-hmm. can or a couple of gas cans. A witness who who had seen him in the area said they saw him in the car. They didn't see anybody but him in the car. Sure. When he left home that day, he left behind things that normally he would have taken, like his cell phone, his watch, his wallet, his attaché case. So. Mm-hmm. And that same day, he posted a letter to his um, his employer, Cypher mm-hmm. Press, asking that. All of his photographic royalties be put in his wife's name. Sounds like a suicide. To Sounds me. kind of suicidal to me. And I'm not going to go into great detail, but fellow photographers and friends had to- told stories about how he had said, "God, you know, if something happened to my family, I would kill myself by pouring gas all over myself." Another one said, "You know, I'd blow myself up in my car." And so there were a lot of people who testified that he Big talked trail. about suicide. He, yeah, he yeah. talked a lot. lot and that signs. this was his choice. Yeah. And this is another thing that Wikipedia kind of gets wrong. He says that his wife and kids don't believe his death was suicide to this day, and then no, that's not true. I mean, sure. I read, I read in, in the the inquest, they uh, they at least his wife accepts that he killed himself. She seems to believe it. And lastly, the last mysterious thing that happened that suggests it, you know, special services was involved is, of course, as I said, he was affiliated with Cypher Press Agency in Paris. Six weeks after the death, there was an armed robbery there by three men in masks who went through the offices and stole all the electronic equipment that Andensen kept there. Again, as I said, the French police declined to investigate. Mm. Yeah. Suspicious? It's a bit suspicious, mm-hmm. though. That well, bit... That that yeah. accusation is a little bit suspicious. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh-huh. Is that yeah. real? Yeah, no, it's, it, no I, it's it's totally true. If by didn't investigate, you mean... <laughs> As did investigate and arrested three people. Mm. So, yeah, they investigated. These guys committed serial robberies like this. Mm. Uh, also, Anderson didn't keep anything at Saipi except for some archived photographs. He'd, he he didn't leave his laptop or anything else there. Wow. And so none of that was stolen. All uh, right. Yeah, they stole a bunch of other other laptops, but not nothing that belonged to Anderson. And the owner of the, of the company told CBS News some years later that... Uh, he thought the real purpose of the robbery is to find compromising photos of a French celebrity who he didn't indeed declined to name. Hmm. Uh, I assume it's Johnny Depp. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> probably. Yeah, it's and always Johnny Depp. Always Johnny yeah, Depp. He yeah. thinks that that was the main focus and that the rest was just a crime of opportunity. Hmm. Okay, there you go. Well, so anyway, that's uh, pretty much it for the royal family. To sum it up, uh, the whole royal family had her murdered theory in all its many, many aspects. It's a bit silly, isn't it? it doesn't quite hold up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Well, that's enough of, yeah, I, I think. Enough that, of the royal family. Yeah, they kind of, yeah. I think, you know, we've exonerated the royal family, or at least in special service and MI6 and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, the next theory that we're going to go into, which is probably the most popular theory, is that Henri Paul was drunk. Yeah. yeah. Although when I wrote sense. this out, I put a question mark at the end of that statement because... Yeah. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Yeah, we're mm-hmm. both kind of we kind of tag teamed this one. We really did, and we'll continue to tag team it. But I think we're both on the same page of question mark. Yes. Yeah. Because according to all the official documents, 
Henrique was super drunk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like super drunk on, on that booze night. and on... prescription drugs, yes. right? Yeah. And and that's why he crashed the car, so it's he's completely at fault. Well, when mm-hmm. you like when you Google the death of Princess Diana, the first thing that comes up is manslaughter by negligent driving on Paul. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's the the official verdict is that he murdered them. Mm-hmm. And according, oh, go ahead. I, well, I, and I, well, we're gonna go into all this. You know, he was sort of uh, he was off duty, as we said earlier. You know, it's yep. like I don't really blame the guy, even if he had been drinking. You mm-hmm. know, because well, but I, I also I question a lot of it because of the timeline. But let's yeah, let's well, go let's into go some into of it. the official official doctrine here. Mm-hmm. According to the French investigation, the blood samples that were taken from his body showed a BAC, a blood alcohol content, of 0.17. Legal oh. limit in America is like 0.04, isn't it? Oh, no, yeah. 0.08. 0.08. Well, actually, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. I think it's, it's lower in some places, yeah, it, higher in a few. Oh, I think 0.07 is kind of typical. Yeah. I would, so that's more than twice. The in, legal limit in, in France, America. that's three times the Great. limit. Cool. So I think 0. 0.6 mm-hmm. or 0. 0.06 mm-hmm. is the limit there. Okay. So yeah, that's three times the drunk. Yeah. And have either of you known anybody who was pulled over and got the you're over the limit? No. Joe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have. I've seen friends who left and then got pulled over mm. and they were pissed drunk completely stagger, fall down drunk, and they were at the limit. Mm -hmm. So this is saying that he was, I use uppercase letters for this, super drunk. Super drunk. Absolutely obscenely drunk. I have problems with that. Yeah, me too, but let's keep going. We'll we'll leave that be for the moment. Mm-hmm. We'll get into it in a minute. The other thing that they find when they do his blood screen or blood tox is they also find it's an extremely and unusually high amount of carbon uh, monoxide in his blood, mm-hmm. which is weird and, and really kind of hard to, to pin down. They, they, uh... they initially attributed it to a number of factors. One, they said he was in an underground tunnel, which is the dumbest thing I ever heard because he died on impact. Yes. But a lot of other people say, you know, he lived in a densely populated area. So it was pollution. Right. But that's also dumb because then everybody else who lives in Paris should have the same carbon monoxide level in their blood. And then it shouldn't be above average. This should be a little higher, though, because he smoked cigars. He did. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about that. Yeah. uh, But, you know, that, that wouldn't put him at an unusually high for the average median. Mm-hmm. If he lives in an urban setting, mm-hmm. Paris, yeah, uh, or in so everybody there should have approximately the same level. So that's the baseline. He should be a little ba- above, not extremely high. Did they yeah. do blood work on anybody else in the car? No, I, not that I ever saw. I mean, he was the driver, so he was the Obviously, prime he candidate. Would be, mm-hmm. He would be, but it'd be interesting to see what the carbon monoxide levels were. It, 
for everybody else in the car. It would, wouldn't it? Yeah. But that's the problem, right? Yeah. With Diana being embalmed, you lose all that yep. blood sample. And then Dodie, uh, I don't know if they what they ever did with him. And then yeah, it yeah. would seem that they should have tested um, Trevor. Yeah, Trevor. His, yeah, Jones but I don't, I don't think they ever did. I, well, these things know. are never brought forward, right. of course. But, but again, these are but, the things that are to be focused upon. This is the thing that gets jumped on and everybody says, but he had, but well, the other people were, Mm -hmm. were looked at, but those don't get reported. And of course then, you know, the operation Paget doesn't, doesn't say anything about it because it it was just so inconsequential. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to say, Yeah, but let's for a minute talk about Henri. He'd worked for the Fayette family for over 10 years. Mm-hmm. So he, he had been doing private security for them. He eventually did such a good job that he got promoted to deputy head of security. Yep. He also on the side was a private pilot. Yeah. So he liked to fly planes. That was one of the things he, he kind of had this thing of, I like to fly. I do my job, but flying is kind of what I love. Yeah. Yeah. And he did his job well, apparently. He got tipped handsomely by the super rich estate. Yeah, no, there was... helped to subsidize I never saw anything that said that he was sloppy. No. 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 He uh, He wouldn't have been promoted like that. (laughs) Exactly. He actually had had kind of a sweet job, you know, Mm -hmm. because these these rich people would, like, tip him really handsomely. Mm -hmm. To just kind of hang out and make sure that paparazzi didn't... Yeah, stuff like that. So they're they're, they're, they're tipping him, like, you know, 500 pounds, you know, 1,000 pounds. Yeah, Yeah, very... Very, very <laughs> sweet deal. Which is why when he died, they found a lot of money in his bank account. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, like we said, he uh, he liked to fly. Yeah. He had three days prior to the accident, he had to go take, and subsequently he passed, his private pilot's physical. At the time, it wasn't the standard practice like it is now to take blood work and to do a what I would call a rigorous physical examination of somebody. Yeah. But he still passed the test. Most of it was just question and answer. Mm-hmm. But he still passed it, and there was no there was no question from the doctor of, well, maybe this isn't right. So that seems okay. Yeah, and the inquest that we talked about, they did an autopsy on Henri's body, and they explicitly said that Paul's liver was found to be normal and that, you know, he had been taking these pills. We're going to talk about in a minute all of the different things that he had been taking. But his doctor had said that he didn't or she, sorry, she didn't think that he had a drinking problem, but that he had the personality that he could develop one if he became depressed or anything like that. He was a bit depressed, it seems. He was a 40-something-year-old man. He was, and he had and just gone through... And men in their mid-40s tend to get a bit of a drinking Yeah, problem. and he had, he had just gone through a big breakup from a long-term relationship and, you know, sort of things that might attribute to that. So she had prescribed some things, but she said he didn't drink regularly, and when he did, it was never beyond the bounds of a normal kind of person relaxing. So, like, one or two. Well, but he he also 
But he this worried is, about it. That, well, see, this is the thing. I mean, you know, when you talk to your doctor and your doctor says, how much do you drink? You know, it's kind of like when a cop asks you. You don't tell them the truth, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's true, but yeah. I, I think... The irony is when I signed up for my health insurance this year, I had this very same thing. Do I tell them the truth nah. or do I not? Mm, yeah. Like, how much do you reveal because you don't want to be pigeonholed? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I have this many beers once a week. Well, that means I get pigeonholed or yeah, that means I've got a booze problem or mm. or the fact that I, I do drink anything at all could mean that according to this doctor. I mean, it's it's a really weird conundrum that it can put a guy in. Absolutely. Uh-huh. It can and put so, any person in. But I think the impression that I had is that he was, he did have that concern of I could become an alcoholic and he knew for his job and for his hobbies, right? Uh, Being a pilot, you can't be an alcoholic. Yeah. For a job as a deputy security for a bunch of rich people, you can't be an alcoholic. Sure. So he but did. He asked the doctor to prescribe him anti-alcoholic medication. But this is strange. I mean, to me, if you, you know, I can't imagine asking something like that to be prescribed for me unless I already have a serious drinking problem. Well, unless like it runs I, in your family. No, well, no, actually, yeah. I can. I can understand this. So let's say I don't want to go on to a long tangent here, but let's just say that he. Well, we know that he had broken up from a relationship. And so you find yourself for two weeks in a row every night going out and getting trashed Mm -hmm. and saying, wait a minute, this is not good. Mm -hmm. And I don't see any reason not to do this. But rationally, I know that's a bad idea. I need to go see my doctor and get something done about that. Mm -hmm. And he did. He went to his doctor and his doctor gave him Prozac to help with his his moods. Was it Prozac? Yeah, it was Prozac. Prozac. And at the same time, she gave him the anti alcohol medication. Yeah, which, now, by the way, doesn't bar him from drinking alcohol. It just mm-hmm. makes it taste a little it less ta- good. It's, yeah, it's, um, oh God, I can't think of what the, the common version of it would be in the U.S., but basically it makes it so he doesn't like, he doesn't enjoy drinking. Mm-hmm. It's not going to make him physically ill, but it's not going to make it that fun. Mm-hmm. Well, Turns out, in his room in the Ritz, they found the empty packets of that medication. Which... Yeah, but didn't it take like a couple weeks to kick in? Well, it wasn't like a you take it and suddenly booze tastes That's bad. absolutely correct, but it in- indicates to me that they hadn't been in that hotel room very long. They had arrived... How long had they been at the hotel? Well, Two days? Diane Doty? Oh, you know, no, they arrived even, that night. That night. That, that night. Okay, yeah. so but if there's... That, but, but what's that got to do with him and his room, though? Well, but if in his room there are the empty packets from the pills, mm-hmm. that means he had to have been taking them. And I don't think that means he started taking it that night. He had been taking it prior. Yeah. Those pills, from what I can tell in the research, they take a ballpark five days to kick in. Yeah. And yeah. ballpark, after the fact, after you stop taking them, they're in your system for about one to two days. All right. We we, we all good with that? Right. Yes. Okay. Right. So I say this stuff has to be in some way, shape, or form in his system. And it was And of course, that, I understand that, system, means, right? that means dependent on the dosage and how long the dosage has been there. But sure, sure. he's got to be taking it. Yeah. Uh, the British inquest. 
also Operation Oh, before Pache. we get farther before, into this? Well, we're talking about things that were in his system, oh, right? Oh, yes, very yeah, true. Um, he had a drug called albendazole. Albendazole? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I totally know that one. No, is is it albendazole? Albendazole. That sounds more right. You like that better? Yeah, I like that way better. No, I like my pronunciation. No, no, no. no. Uh, It was unaccounted for. His doctor hadn't prescribed it to him. Uh, It was found in a hair sample of his. So they tested his hair, right, as well for his drugs. Because you do that sometimes, right? Some stuff doesn't show up in your blood necessarily. And it's a drug commonly give to, given to homeless people in the United Kingdom, t- and it treats worm infestations like ringworm, ringworm, and things like that. Uh-huh. No, you're laughing, but it, this is true, and it was found I, in his hair. It's a worm medicine, which is just so weird to me. Yeah, that's why I'm laughing at it because that's just so odd. It's also odd that his doctor didn't prescribe it. Yeah, I it, think if you grind this stuff up and snort it, does it get you high? I don't no, I didn't. Oh. I doubt that. That <laughs> seems unlikely. Does it get the worms high? <laughs> Probably. The side effects are there are some potentially serious side effects on this that include bone marrow suppression. Mm. That's not really that important. What is no, important is that liver yeah. inflammation has been reported, particularly those with liver problems. Which we're going to talk about his which liver. We'll talk about his liver. Or we've talked about his liver ha- a little bit. Yeah. And then other more common side effects include, you know, nausea, abdominal pain, and headaches. Not really the sort of thing that would really affect your blood alcohol level, but it might affect your ability to drive a car if you're having severe headaches or abdominal cramps or anything like that. But also super weird that they found that in his hair. Why is he taking deworming medication? That his doctor didn't prescribe. You know, that's the other thing I think is that it seems that he had a fairly open conversation dialogue with his doctor. He was able to say, hey, I want this anti-alcoholism medication, right? So on top of that, for him to like not mention, oh, also I have ringworm, that's that's a little weird. It sends up a little red flag. We're going to talk about why... It sends up a little bit more of a red flag because there are some conspiracy theories about the blood and hair and body (laughs) of Henry Paul or Henri Paul that was found in the car. This is one thing that kind of feeds into that, I think. I got said ringworm. Big deal. (laughs) But why didn't the doctor prescribe? It's not like an over-the-counter medication. It's a prescription pill. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it wasn't prescribed uh, to him by the doctor. So why didn't he go see his doctter for this? Yeah, he he went somewhere else anonymously and paid cash because he didn't want it in his medical records. That's all it is. Which is silly because why? Because it's ringworm. Yeah, of course. Yeah. No. You get from anything from petting the wrong dog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, anyways, it's highly communicable. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was worth mentioning. Yeah. Absolutely. A um, strange. Okay, well, let's let's go back to the night of the accident. Oh, with him drinking and stuff? Yeah, okay, that. Sure. It's known that he was drinking. <clears throat> it's, it's a fact. He was off of work, and he was drinking. There are eyewitness accounts and, and receipts, eyewitnesses as in patrons in the bar and the bartender and the receipt from the bartender putting him in the hotel bar. Um, so we know he was in the hotel bar. The, uh, yeah. the eyewitnesses were, were who? The bartender. Yeah. And a couple of patrons. And a couple of patrons. Hmm. But they say that according to all of this, he had two Ricards. And I hope I'm pronouncing that. Re- I think it's Richard. Richards. It um, may be. I don't I, know why I keep I, thinking I, that, uh, but it, I do. Okay. Well, I don't, I don't whichever, know. it doesn't I do. matter. I think it's Richards. I'm going to go with Richards. Two shots of something. Well, I yeah. looked it up. It's, not, it's, it's an anise-based alcohol. Mm. It's 
not super popular at the time, and it's kind of become more popular now. Sure. But it, he he had two drinks of that, and I looked this booze up. Mm. You can buy it in what a it's a seventy centiliter bottle, which I think equates to like a twenty four ounce bottle over mm. the counter. Mm-hmm. So I can't see him in the bar getting a twenty four ounce bottle. Yeah, no. So I've got to guess that what he got was a glass. So it had to be a mixed drink. It ha- yeah, it had to. Which be. it can't be a big mixed drink because it's it's a full bottle of booze that I was looking at on the internet mm. to buy. Also, yeah, if they're charging him for just, you know, the shot of that, the mixer's free. Yeah. Or maybe he's just drinking it over ice or straight up. It, it, it mm. to me, is the equivalent of going to the bar and getting a shot of whiskey on the rocks. But, now, uh, yeah. two of those is not good. Depending on the state of your stomach, really. It, this, don't forget about exactly. that. But, but also, exactly. don't forget this. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever like had a bar that you go to on a regular basis or not, but often it turns out, in, in cases like that, Especially like I'm thinking that this bar, maybe you get what's called the bro deal, mm. which is that you don't get charged for all the drinks that you take. And that could and, be possible. And but... also, by the way, let's not forget the bartender has a strong reason to not tell the truth okay, later on because we're... he doesn't want to be culpable for you driving drunk. Right. right. But we're, yeah. we're not going to go there yet. Okay, so I just want to stick to this two drink. And now, his BAC indicated that he had to have like 10 drinks. Ten, yeah, a million. Yeah. 10 or 12 of these freaking things. Yeah. But um, I also want to talk about briefly the, the carbon monoxide. Yeah. In his blood. Mm-hmm. He was well, he was smoking cigars. Well, he? he knew he was known to smoke cigars. Mm-hmm. And evidently that night he had been smoking his... He'd smoked two cigars, which for anybody who's ever smoked a cigar, that's a lot of smoking. They were full cigars, not cigarellos or anything. Yeah. yeah. They're like, oh, you know, the, the big God. old like giant things. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I've tried to smoke... A cigar, and I think I made it like ten minutes, I don't, yeah. and made with a half things. an inch were of progress you, on that stupid inhaling? thing. Mm. Oh no! Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. That's I think that made me sick. That's why yeah. I stopped. Uh-huh. But that's a lot to inhale, and this guy is inhaling several two two plus cigars. Yeah. So that that to me explains the carbon monoxide. Yeah. I also then uh, okay, I'm. I'm operating on the, let's say, what we have as evidence from the bar is true. How the hell can his BAC be that high? It Hmm. can't. Okay. Can it? Actually, it can. It it can if he's got no food in him. But I started rooting around in a couple of things. And I I actually found some medical studies, which, believe it or not, exonerate him a little bit. Or prove that maybe the numbers aren't right. Um, there is, from a physiological standpoint, there is an interaction in the body between alcohol and nicotine. And I'd heard this from a doctor years ago that nicotine blocks your uptake of alcohol. Turns out there's a couple of scientists who did a study and they took three control groups of rats. What they did is they injected the same amount of alcohol into all of them. And then group A got a low dose, group B got a high dose or medium dose, and group C got the high dose of nicotine. 
And go figure, the group that got the high dose of nicotine Mm -hmm. had a lower blood alcohol content peak number because the nicotine was blocking some of the receptors in the body that pull in the booze. So if this guy is huffing cigars all night long, it stands to reason based on this study, and I understand this is a study, it's not concrete proof. Yeah. But I've seen supporting studies of this. Right, and just anecdotal evidence. Right, but if this guy is sucking on a cigar all night long and he's had two drinks or two shots, he shouldn't be nearly as drunk as the guy next to him who's had the equal exact same amount of food and day and number of shots because the nicotine stops the uptick. Sure. Mm -hmm. But... Highly weird, but it turns out true. Okay. But let's finish with my last thing that really, really makes me question if he was total guano house drunk. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you watch the footage of him in the hotel lobby and you watch him outside, he's... Standing around, he's fine, he sees Diane Doty, he walks them outside, he holds the door, he waves to somebody. The paparazzi, it's suspicious. Suspiciously. (laughs) And then he walks to the car and he opens the doors and gets in. Nowhere in that crappy footage does he suddenly go and tip over drunk. Yeah, he doesn't stumble at all. No. He's very solid. Nothing about his behavior indicates that he is completely in the bag. But Mm -hmm. there are people that can put away a lot of booze and still maintain. But those people tend to have signs in physiologically like in their liver that we talked about yeah that would show that yeah you can maintain the 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 face but your body is paying the price and he doesn't seem to have had that well just uh, you know i mean it takes a a while to really start damaging your liver so but it also takes a a while to learn to operate that way yeah i mean i'm sorry how many of you have known drunks Mm-hmm. And for a while, the drunks, you don't know they're drunks because they're really good at operating like they're sober. And then suddenly there comes the point where they take a beer and they go, oh, blah, blah, mm. because they're just so hosebagged immediately that they're done. Yeah. And it's a, yeah. it's not a gradual progression, but physiologically, the signs are super obvious. Yeah. yeah. So none of that I, uh, showed up. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's a little mysterious to me. I agree that uh, I think that it's easily explainable that he could have had the higher blood alcohol content and maybe he drank outside the bar. He went back to his room oh, or his office. Yeah. I mean, he had a yeah. bottle there. I'm not going to disagree with that at yeah, all. Although you still would expect there to be slurring, which apparently nobody noticed, and staggering, a little bit of staggering at that high of a blood alcohol content. And, but, and you know. for our friends who are going to jump on the conspiracy bandwagon, because I've seen this and say, well, his the, the blood was switched out. Or accidentally mm. confused with somebody else's blood in mm-hmm. the lab. Yeah. That blood was sampled multiple times, and every time it came back with the same results. Mm-hmm. And to 
accommodate this screaming and hand-waving of it's not his blood they did a dna test on it and it's a wait i gotta look i gotta look at this number because there's so many digits it's a 99.9997 percent match to his mother which means so in other it's words, his it maybe blood. His blood. So it's just his mom's blood. Yeah. <laughs> I say it's yeah. his blood. Although, if I want to get in bed with the, well, it's the conspiracy, something's going on. Okay, he went out, he had way too much to drink, he passed out, and somebody took a vial of his blood. Yeah. I don't say that's what happened, but if we're going to fall into that camp, that's the next logical step mm-hmm. after uh, you find out it's a genetic match. That's a pretty uh, sustained, uh, just amazing a case of planning there, too. Yeah. You know oh, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> like, why... Like positioning your Fiat you know, Uno in the tunnel. The, you know? Yeah, that <laughs> yeah, falls back into the MI6 involvement, which we've yeah. already kind of blasted apart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that... I, I do think, though, that there's, there is... The what, what can I say? There's a compromise position, which is that uh, he might not have been falling down drunk, but in the, the situation that they were in, they were in a dangerous tunnel that had these nasty columns in the middle that you could pile into. He mm-hmm. lost control, which he can even do sober. Yeah. And his reflexes were a little dulled by alcohol, and mm-hmm. boom, next thing you know, big time wreck. Yeah. I yeah. did. <sighs> I mean, yeah. I, he obviously was not sober. Well, I'm not saying he was sober, yeah. but I'm also, I'm amazed that he was three times over the limit. Yeah. Because, Joe, we know the like same people who have walked out of the bar and fallen on their face drunk, and it's like, woo, yeah. holy hell, how did you drink that much that fast? Yeah. yeah. It's, um, you know, a lot from of... a physiological standpoint, that is... To me, I mean, the people I'm thinking of, that is a long-term problem. Sure. Yeah. You guys ready for the next final? Oh, let's yeah, have let's more. talk about another one. Yeah. Theory fun. Absolutely. Let's have it. I mean, this one is pretty homegrown. And I think <laughs> I might be the only one in this room who likes this theory at all. We'll go down it. I'll put my hat on least. it. Yeah. This theory, I started to think about, We, you know, we've been researching this episode for a, a number of weeks now. But Lord, yes. Last week, we, last week, we talked about Sneha Phillips. And uh, Steve brought forward the theory that maybe her husband did it. Oh, yeah. And that got me thinking, what about Muhammad Al-Fayed? Because he's the only one making all of the claims. A hundred and seventy some odd <laughs> claims. Uh-huh. Right? So either you have somebody who is proud of the fact that his oldest son was dating Princess Diana, or you have somebody who is trying desperately to shine the light literally anywhere but himself. So, so he was ashamed, essentially. Uh, maybe not ashamed, maybe trying to cover something up. Oh, okay. 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 And so he had them murdered? It's possible, right? Yeah. Muhammad Al-Fayyad's history is a bit weird. We mentioned that he's close with an arms dealer in Dubai. Mm, yeah, true right? that. Uh, he's a very ambitious businessman. He was the biggest person who was involved with the cash for questions scandal. Oh, yeah. This, yeah. Was, this was... Which you're going to have thinking. to Google if you're like really, really interested. But the Cliff Gosh. Notes quick version is that Al-Fayed bribed through a third party lots of members of parliament to ask parliamentary questions, which are apparently like a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was like a pretty huge scandal that broke in 1994 in Britain. 
one of Al-Fayed's claims for one, you know, one of the 170 some odd claims was that he didn't think that anybody wanted to see Diana dead, but instead that she died after a plan to frighten her had gone wrong. A plan to scare her into breaking up with Dodie. So they put on like white bed sheets and pretended to be ghosts? (laughs) No, I think the the fear was, you know, get like, let's have her be in a car accident. And she would think, oh my gosh, something's gone wrong. I I don't know. I don't understand necessarily That's the first thing when I get in a near miss, I think I got to break up with her. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This is the reason. Yeah, Yeah, I know. But I guess we'll put a little bit of perspective on this. We've kind of skirted around the issue, but Diana was a member of the Church of England, and Dodie was, and um, he was part of the Islamic religion. Diana was kind of a strong, independent woman, though she was maybe not the smartest of the women. And she did have two sons, and one of which was going to eventually be the heir to the throne. Yeah, of, he was in line. England. He was in Both of her line. sons are in line. One more than the other. Yes, yes. but both are in. Mm-hmm, they are. Dodi was Al-Fayed's firstborn son, so he would have been kind of the heir to his fortune. Even if Diana wasn't pregnant, the idea of her raising Dodi's potential children could have been upsetting to Al-Fayed for whatever reason. The flip side of... Do you want to get into the flip side of that? Sure. Okay, so this is this is one of the documentaries that I watched that I'm pretty sure was funded by Alpha. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. It I I looked through all the credits and very conveniently I didn't find his name, but it really seems like all of the internal interviews. Okay. Short version is the opposite is true. Diana has two sons that are part of the Church of England and in line for the throne of Britain. So, what a terrible thing if suddenly they have a half-sibling who is Islamic. Yeah. And could potentially have an influence on them. Yeah, and I Ugh. don't think, you know, to be fair, none of us are saying that. No, I think We're that, I think that both people. of those are ludicrous. I agree. Yeah. But, yeah so no. here's a fun fun fact about Dodie Fayed uh, that I know I mentioned to you guys before oh, we started yeah, recording, and both of the the shock on both of your faces was awesome. Dodie, he was actually engaged already when he was dating Diana. Uh-huh. He yeah. did we we didn't mention that, did we? We didn't. Mm, no, yeah. I don't think we mentioned that. Yeah, before. he was engaged She's not to. To uh, an American model named Kelly Fisher, he had, in fact, purchased a house for them in Malibu and proposed, like, a couple months before he started dating Diana. He denied that he was dating Diana to Fisher over the phone. She actually has recordings of this because she felt really jilted and she was going to sue him. So she called him to confront him about it and recorded the phone conversation. And on it, he vehemently was like, no, we're not dating. We're just friends. We're not dating at all. Which is what you would say to your girlfriend, right? If, you, if she found out about your other girlfriend. But that also explains the ring. The ring mm-hmm. that he... Everything yeah, he says, yeah. Dodie went to the ring, the, the, the jewelry store, and he was getting this ring for Diana to propose their, and set up their engagement. I think it wasn't for Diana? Huh? I don't for think girl? it was for Diana. Uh-huh. I think it was for her. Yeah, for Fisher. Yeah, yeah. because it was a diamond-encrusted, freaking huge, obscene ring. Yeah. It yeah. makes so much sense yeah. that, oh, well, we're engaged. And, honey, I've just got back from this trip from France. And looky here. Mm-hmm. Here's another thing. Mm-hmm. Look about me garnering your favor. Yeah. 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 
Okay. Anyways, well, it's a so, bit of a anyway. side tangent, but, yeah, but uh, I guess the the point is is that Al Fayad certainly had the means to orchestrate this. He knew where they were going. He employed the man who crashed the car. He could have easily dosed Henri with something, uh, causing him to be more inebriated than he was. So he now he have... now that in this theory he wants Dodi to get killed. Well, in that in that instance, right? no, he wants to scare them. Mm. Well, it's in, not intentionally killing them, but let's scare the holy living bleep out mm-hmm. of them. He could have so that Diana leaves. Yeah, and he could have just said to Henri, like, "Hey, could you scare them a whole lot on your way over there, and we'll see if Diana kind of bolts." You know, mm. and things got out of control. Maybe he didn't know that Henri was inebriated in any way, and Henri took it like to the extreme. I, you know, there's there was ample time and ability. For Al-Fayed to have planned something, he was one of the only people who really knew where Diana and Dodi were headed, right? He could have organized for a white Fiat Uno to be in the place in the way that Henri was so taking them. So that's pretty dramatic It's plan. dramatic. It's absolutely dramatic. But I think that at the very least, we owe it to mention I'm... that... I don't think I don't I yep. don't genuinely think that there's good motive. I don't no. genuinely think that Al Fayed would have had his oldest son, who he probably just adored, killed. Yeah. But I think that while we're mentioning all these other crazy, ludicrous things, we may as well mention this one as well. What the hell? I mean, yeah. yeah, I think that uh, yeah, it might have been too. I mean, look at this. You know, I mean, maybe he felt like his his his. Diana was a tart, and, and and that Dodie was bringing dishonor upon the family. And, it's all you know. There's and it was so an many honor killing. You know, he, you can you yeah. can find a lot of reasons, and I I don't I don't, I don't personally find any merit in any of them. But no, not really. There you go. So yeah. that's I think our I, last theory. I'm kind of doubting that he did it. I agree. That's our last yeah. theory. Yeah, I don't think. Thank God. <laughs> I also like. I don't think that any of those are awesome theories. Yeah. <laughs> to I be have, fair, I have one more theory. Um, it was a shadowy coalition of regular guys who were really, really sick of hearing about Diana. No. So they decided to opt. Nope. No. That's definitely no. not it. Mm, no. That's definitely not it, no. sir. So, I have to say that the biggest mystery for me in this whole thing is, is seriously the whole Diana obsession always left me cold and always made me wonder what the hell. I think Are a lot people of people finding so fascinating about it's this? a cultural thing, though, Joe. Wow. We're we're in the U.S. We're in the Western states. Yeah, we don't get that. No, no, but no. it is a total cultural thing. Like all of Britain got into it, and yeah. then it spread from there. I think... I'm not putting down. I'm not saying that the. The Brits are nuts or anything like no, that. No, no, I know in America. No, no, Diana. People in America went berserk for Diana. I mean, we heard about nothing else. It wasn't just the Brits that went crazy for well, Diana. Well, I think that part of what happened is people ignored the fact that she was a lady, right? She, yeah, was, she was from a well off family. Her story was kind of billed as a rags to riches Cinderella kind of a, story. Kind of a, yeah, Cinderella. But... And I think people really bought into that. Yeah. It wasn't true. No. <laughs> uh, but... but even so, the, the thing about it was is that, is that it's one thing to package something like that into a 90-minute, two-hour movie. It's another thing to package it into, uh, you know, 20 years of tabloid crap. I mean, which is what people did. And I yeah. never understood it, that, that why people were even remotely interested in Diana or yeah. the royal family. Just, so if you know for why. For me, it was a mystery. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. If you know why, send us a letter Let or an email. Let us know, please. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't like any of these theories. 
Uh, no, I'm left no. wanting. I think that no, it's just I think you know car crash. You know, I mean, yeah. it, it happened. Yeah. Yeah. And it's unfortunate, and we won't know ever. And by the way, Paris, put some friggin' guardrails in that For tunnel. For real, though. I mean, seriously. Dude, seriously. what the F is going on yeah. with your roadway system in that one tunnel? Uh-huh. If you can't tell, we're tired now. <laughs> we're tired and cranky. We're, we're getting cranky and grouchy, yeah. so we're going to go ahead and wrap this thing yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, because I did, like, all the things that we're trying to come up yeah. with not to swear. Yeah, so some of the links to our research uh will be on our website that's thinking sidewayspodcast.com you can stream us there you can also find us on iTunes which is probably where you found us if you are finding us on iTunes please leave us a comment and a rating and don't forget to subscribe you can stream us on just a crazy amount of the streaming services i think we're on almost all of them now in fairness, you probably know where you're finding us because you're listening to this episode and oh, you've made point. it to the end. <laughs> Somehow. Uh, uh, it took them three days, but yeah, they made it, it to the have. end of this episode. Yeah. Uh, this is, if this is your first episode, by the way, the other ones usually aren't quite so They're long. They're not so long. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Please, yeah. God, no. Um, you may or may not have already connected with us on social media. We are on Facebook. We have a group and a page. You can find us, friend us, like us. We are also on Twitter. We sometimes post some things about things on Twitter. We're thinking sideways, not thinking sideways. And then you can also always send us an email. We get lots of emails. Send us a suggestion, comments, concerns. If you're an expert in something, send us that. The email address is thinkingsidewayspodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget, we also have merchandise. Swag, if you will, shirts, phone cases, nightlights. Uh, you can find the link to that on our website, thinkingsidewayspodcast.com. It's on the right hand side, right above the donate button. Whoa. With all of that being said, are we actually done? Yeah, oh, no. Yes. <laughs> Joe just said it all. He did. All right, guys, we got to get out of here. Yeah. Ta ta. Love next you. Bye bye. Bye, guys. Bye. -bye.